Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Downtime with Downstar, episode 158, and today is a special episode. We have Marcus DiSabella in from Heel Toe. Marcus, what's up, brother? Hey, Frank. It's going down. <sighs> Not much, man. It's been a long time to get you in here, man. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, you know, like uh, like we were talking before, I really wanted to come and be there in person. And uh, I'm in SoCal a few times a year, Yeah. but it just wasn't going to happen right now. So I don't know what's going to happen, dude. I don't know when we're going to go back to normal uh, business, so I got to get used to doing the Skype stuff. Uh, yeah, I think it's working out pretty good. Yeah. The one you did, the last one you did, it came through great. Oh, you know? cool. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, yeah. um, some of our listeners may be familiar with you. Uh, you actually sponsored the podcast maybe about six or seven episodes ago. Dude, thank you for that, man. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Yeah. I was thinking about reaching out to you even before you posted it. Once you posted that up, I was like, all right, man, we got to do it. You know, I think when you do something like that, it's it's not about trying to grab customers or anything. I think it's getting more exposure. But in addition to that, there's an association. Yeah. You know, I know an, I know enough about your business and I know you well enough that I respect you a lot. And thank you. Um, I think that uh, people that connect with with you, I think they would. Uh, be the kind of people that we would want to do business with too so to me it's an alignment you know yeah it's it's not a sales move it's or anything like that so i'm uh, uh it's a pleasure for me to to hear you say my name on that show <laughs> dude likewise man i really really appreciate it you know i it means a lot to me for you to jump on and to back up the podcast because we've been doing this when you jumped on it was i think 152 if i'm not mistaken we had uh, jonathan wong on jonathan. but we've yeah. done 150 episodes with no support from anybody which i mean monetary it's not what i'm looking for i'm looking for uh, people that would want to be aligned with what we're doing you know the same idea that you had and um i would expect a little more you know, I would expect a little more people to believe in the vision and what we have going on and what we're trying to do. But, um, I mean, it- <laughs> I, you know, I don't, it's, I don't know. I, you, you've been in business a while, yeah. you know, not to take things personally. I don't think it has so much to do with they don't believe in or whatever. But I think that, um, in this, especially in this industry, there's yeah. this kind of immature view of things that isn't, I mean, there's like a woke end of business that has you having faith yeah. in in what you're doing and who you are. And like I said, for me, it wasn't a decision about uh, making a sale. It was a decision about uh, an alignment, like a support of you. I don't even sell your stuff right now. Yeah. You know, like somebody and, and I have a little heartburn about that, too. Like, you know, yeah, I'm supporting your pod and you've got this business and I probably should be selling the nuts and bolts too. And I've been to your website. I'm like, dude, I think I could, no offense. I think I could sell this stuff better than you're selling. Yeah. But I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. You know, I don't, uh, that's my own issue. Yeah. But when it comes right down to it, if you distill it all the way down, you just say, Hey, you know, man, Frank's a good guy. You're always trying new and interesting things. The Huffy talk, the skate brand, the pod. It's like, it seems like you've got a limitless energy and excitement <laughs> about being in business 
And that once you realize that you could, you know, control your own universe, you're off and creating. Yeah. And to me, that's pretty inspirational. So, thank you. You know, when it came down to saying like, well, if I want to support somebody in industry, if I want to advertise, if I want to get exposure, these are the kind of people that I would like to align with. People that are, you know, breaking new ground. Yeah. You know, sometimes you hit oil and sometimes you just hit rock, but you're trying and I, and I really appreciate that. Thank you, man. That, that means a lot to me because we are trying out here. And uh, we had that conversation earlier where I was telling you about if we're still going to do it and such. And, um, you know, if I was to take it in a personal way, I don't think I would be able to do this anymore because those instances happen more than not. And, you know, if if you hold that as a grudge where somebody doesn't show up when they're supposed to or, you know, they they say that they're going to do it and then they ghost you, it's that's kind of the way of of media, you know. And so I need to really be able to separate myself from from Downstar, the business owner to Frank, the media guy. Yeah, you know, so that that's kind Absolutely. of the, that's the hard part with it. But um, you know, it's it's been so awesome to do the podcast just to be able to talk to all these different people, get their stories, and um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I've always wanted you on the podcast because ever since I've been in the Honda community, you've been a staple in the community, and um, I've always wanted to know like what brought you in, how'd you get here, and how'd you start everything. You know, and uh, yeah. one of the last times that we did speak in person was at SEMA and you were, um, dude, man, you're still jazzed up about everything. You know, you got your website coming <laughs> out that you're still working on. And then it, yeah. it kind of sparks interest in me because sometimes I feel like I'm getting burned out. And then I see someone like yourself has been in since 2002 and you're still running hot. So I need, <laughs> I need to get some of that, uh, that formula from you. What yeah, keeps well, you, going. you know, there's, there's. <laughs> SEMA is an encouraging environment for a personality like mine. Like I, I get very amped up. I'm an idea man. Yeah. You know, like I, I get, my mind gets going and then I want to, I want to do these things. And sometimes I get caught in the minutia and the details and, and I like to have an idea and make it happen. And when it doesn't happen right away, it gets me pretty well bummed out. But, um, you know, you've said it a bunch of times already. It's a marathon, not a not a race, not yeah. a sprint. Yeah. And and I should know that probably more than anybody, <laughs> given the the freaking marathon that I've already been running. But you know, it is it is hard. I think that I think that uh, I did have a hard time a few years ago, um, just because it just feels like, man, where where am I going? What am I doing? Like, am I just gonna sell stupid Honda parts yeah. for the rest of my life? Yeah. Like that's not the story, right? The story is you go to school and you get a degree and then you're going to retire one day and go to the Bahamas or whatever. Yeah. That's what you want, right? Kids going to school and you know, it's it's hard to see that when your path isn't quote unquote laid out. Like if you don't have a um if you don't have a pension, you know, and you're kind of churning away on your own 401k or like if you're working at at a job and you've got a 401k, you, you kind of have this sense like, okay, well this money goes in every month. And then at the end it should be like this, or at least that's what the guy says. Yeah. Market crash, whatever. But at least, you know, like you have a plan and, uh, you know, my business, I don't really have a plan. It's just been really, really organic. Um, even how I kind of got started, it just sort of 
all has just happened. And it wasn't until at least a couple of years ago that it really nailed down and I had to make some, you know, firm decisions. I don't want to say they were hard decisions, but they were ones that I struggled with for a long time and make some, like, for example, I'm only selling Honda parts, mm-hmm. right? So many brands in the market, they'll, they'll start with the Honda because that's what so many people do. And then they start saying, well, you know, I can upload the AEM intakes catalog. Well, why wouldn't I just do all the pieces? Like I can import 20 SKUs to my website. Why not do the 600 that they offer or whatever? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're selling Toyota and you know, Subaru and all this stuff. And then you get that call. Hey, I want to get a blah, blah, blah for my WRX. And it's like, I don't know shit about WRXs. Like, how do I help that person? Yeah. You know? So the decision came down, I mean, literally just a couple of years ago. And I've never really sold anything other than Honda parts for 15 years. Yeah. The decision came down. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to do Honda parts because I want to have a high level of uh, service that I'm offering. And I can't give that to other people. I can only give it to Honda people where I know what a DA and an EF and the and the Kuki and Zanki versions and I, I can only really do it that way. So that that was that's an example of like one decision that I've recently made that has helped define what I do. And it's all of a sudden a lot easier when somebody contacts me and says, Oh, you know, I got an infinity. Can you help me out? I'm like, well, if you shoot me a part number, I can order it, but I can't give you any support. I don't know enough mm. to really give you that heel toe touch, you know. Yeah. And when when you can make decisions like that, it helps guide you forward and then obviously you can get more excited about things. So you have the uh the hashtag that you that you go by is a uh, uh, HT in your corner. Uh, what what does that slogan mean to you? Um yeah, we came up with that. That was one of those things that we came up with um, after rebranding. We rebranded in, um, how, what year was that? It was like four or five years ago. And we got a new logo. We got the new graphical element, you know, the corner. Nice. That's our, our corner logo. And then we came up with the in your corner. Um, and that was really meant, there. Uh, there's many layers to it. Frank. <laughs> so, so here's it. the whole thing. It, it started with this concept that uh, in our industry, a lot of the people that are selling the Honda parts are ground up kind of people. They're not business people. They're not um, specialists in really anything other than knowing a lot about Hondas and, and how to work on them. Um, I come from a little bit of a different background and the way I handle my customers is maybe a little different than some others would. Uh, I come from a lot more of a customer service angle. I'm not a racing guy. I can't tell you how to make the most horsepower with your car. That's not really what we're about. I think what we're about is supporting you and your build, right? So like you're coming up with the stuff, you need advice, I can help you. You want the part, I can put it in your hand, you know, fast and efficient and easy. And when it comes down to there being a problem or an issue, um, we want you to know that we're here backing you up, right? We're in your corner and you don't always have that, especially when it's like Sunday and you're trying to install something on your car and a part was wrong or you need advice mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, I know enough about how to work on the cars. I know enough about the products. So if you call me, 
with uh, you know bloody knuckles on on Sunday at two o'clock. Like I may not pick up, but I'll be able to respond yeah. to messages and things like that to support you on the weekend. Um, that kind of stuff. We thought, hey, like let's just tell people what we do. We're in your corner, no matter what. If you have a question, if you have advice that you need, if you want to just run something by us, or if you need that part, um, if you need it tomorrow or next week or whatever. If if you need a gift for a Christmas present and you want your mom to have a good experience. Yeah. Like overall, that's what we do. And so the in your corner thing is, is just trying to drive that home. And it's a different kind of a message that some of our contemporary people put out. Yeah. You know, it's not just about slang and parts. It's about more than that. It's about forming a, a relationship and a reliability that you know that we're here to help. Now, do you offer uh, texting as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a bit of a wake-up call a while ago. Um, I had, you know, we've been doing a lot with uh, Acuras in recent years. Okay. Actually, for a long time. A lot of Acura stuff, TLs and TSXs. And uh, I had a, a TL here that we bought as just sort of like a test car. And I wanted to swap out some taillights. It came with these, whatever, taillights. And I wasn't wanting to post it on Facebook. Hey, does anybody want to swap these out? Free, right? I just want your stock ones. Yeah. And this kid jumped on it. Uh, He's only like 30 minutes away. He came. I swapped him out. And we got to talking. And I was like, he didn't realize that it was a business that I have. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, really? Like, you have a third generation TL. Since that car was new you know, we've been supporting and installing parts like that. Huh. The, the forum around those uh, TL, Acurazine, TLs, TSXs, all, all Acuras, uh-huh. we've been a sponsor on there since 2005. Like, people know, Wow. people with a TL know who we are. Like, and even if you're not on Acurazine, if you're just Googling around, you're going to land on us if you have a TL. Okay. This kid had never heard of me. Hmm. And I was like, Holy shit! Like I'm not the the world is different than I thought that it was. Yeah. Right. For a long time, you get in this zone where you think that people know who you are, uh, just because you're out there, and come to find out that wasn't true at all. And he doesn't go. He didn't go on the internet. He goes on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Right. He goes on Facebook. He goes on Insta. And you know, at the time, I wasn't doing a whole lot with social. Uh, messaging or whatever. If you message me on, on Facebook, I probably wouldn't get it. You know, it really email is what I relied on. Yeah. And uh, he said, "Oh yeah, no, I buy all my parts from this other guy." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I know who that is, but I mean that that guy's on the East Coast. Like, you're 30 minutes away. Like, what's going down?" He said, "I didn't didn't even know who you were." I'm like, "Okay, well, you know what?" I said, "How do you find well well that guy?" He's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. He texts. I could text him whatever, whatever. I was like, oh, man, I need to blow my doors open. Like, and at that moment, I thought, who the hell am I? <laughs> you have to email me. You have to go to my website. Anybody who I might possibly be able to help, no matter how they want to reach out to me, I have to make that available. Yeah. You know, if they want to DM me on Instagram, figure it out. You know, I didn't know how to use it kind of getting old yeah <laughs> but i figured figure out dms facebook messaging texting 
such to the point where if you go to my website on a phone, there's a button on the bottom of every single part of the screen. Like every screen you're on, you just click the button to text me. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you go to my website on, on your cell phone, there's two buttons at the bottom. Click to call and click to text. And it's just there on every single page. And um, people use the shit out of it. Wow. And, and honestly, I found that I like texts a lot better than phone calls <laughs> yeah. a lot of times. Because <laughs> if it's a quick thing, um, you know, you can answer them quick. You can send them a link. You can't send somebody a link over the phone. Yeah. You know, they, they want to buy. You can link them. Um, you want to help people, but you aren't in a position where you can talk. Yeah, text and messaging has been great. So, yeah, I did like a 180 on my my communication policy like right then and there. Yeah. And it was a good thing I did, too, because that's, that's how you lose in business by not keeping up with times, you know? Yeah. If kids want to text you, you got to text them. I, I can definitely agree with that, man. There was a point where, you know, I we were known by everybody, you know, so I didn't really check our DMs. Somebody would comment, check the uh, check the website or something like that, you know, and um, that really didn't help our growth a lot. And then um, before that, though, I had jumped on the texting, which I noticed that that was ahead of the times what a lot of people were doing, you know, and mm -hmm. I I. I like that portion of it, but in my head, it didn't click over like, yo, you should be answering the DMs. Those are a different form of texting. So something yeah. flipped in my head. You know, I wanted to separate it. Look, if you have any business, email us. If you have any yeah. business, call us or text us. If you can't email us, call us or text us, you don't deserve to buy our products. That's how I would think about it. Well, <laughs> and, and that's how we want to think about it. Yeah. But when you, as time goes by, um, and, and I don't know if you're different from me in this respect. I mean, people randomly message heel toe yeah. and they start their message with, Hey Marcus. Yeah. Because they, they know it's me. Yeah. Right. Or, or expect it to be me. Uh, I feel like you might get a little more than that than, than I do. Cause you're like, I feel like you're more the face of it than, than, than I am. Or at least I'm just not as yeah, yeah, out yeah. there socially as much these days. Anyway, the point being, um, it's an organization and the customers view it. It's like they view it like they're doing business with a friend. Definitely. hundred percent, dude. And you know, they don't, they don't, they, they treat it the same way. It, when you realize that if, if you treat them wrong, they remember that. Right, and and they're just not going to come back, or they'll have a negative thought of you when it comes up, and I just can't handle that. I can't handle somebody out there being unhappy with how we've communicated, and um, however they want to do it. I mean, the customer's always right. Yeah, it is really a true thing to say, and it and there's been a big pushback on that recently. But in reality, it, it is true. I think if you think of it in the right way, and then once you can think of it that way, then you you welcome all of this communication with open arms. Now, I agree with you. Like email is the way to handle many many issues, and customers don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people message me and be like, "Hey, man, this is great. Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for telling me." 
I need you to send me all of this shit that you just sent me in an email. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, here's a link to my email address. Just click that and just paste it all in there. Because, you know, you can't follow up. You, you know, you lose a text in like 20 minutes. It'll be gone, like, down there. So sometimes the customers get a little turned off by that. But I have to say, like, hey, you know, we have to stay organized and I don't want to lose your communication. But we handle this in a help desk system or an email system that we'll be able to follow up with you. The replies are going to be a little slower, but that's how we're going to handle it. Like we're going to get it fixed. Um, no, I'm sorry. I can't do every little POC to handle like a service issue. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let them reach out to you, but then you got to redirect them. You know, sometimes what I found is that the customers are only really looking for an answer. But the answer doesn't have to be the solution. Yeah. Right? Hey, I've got this exhaust and it's rattling. What do I do? Oh, take a video, take a picture, find your receipt, send us an email. We'll handle it. Boom. Done. You know, they're not looking for you to handle it right now. And I've seen a lot of um, newer business guys uh, in the zone there just getting offended that somebody's reaching out to them at, at an ungodly hour. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, dude, that's when they found it. Like, they need help. All they want to know is, how can I get this handled? They're not looking for you to swap it out, like, right now. Yeah. So uh, separating out that point of contact with how you're going to manage it is, is I think, is, is a maturity level that you get to after you've been in business for a little while. I mean, hopefully, but I still know that uh, there's still a lot of brands out there that that don't approach it that way and i really wish that they would see the importance well, dude, a lot of brands don't even reply back yeah so how how i feel about the situation is when i have an issue working on my car i would love to be able to contact that person at that very moment send them a picture or what have you and say hey man do you know what, what i'm doing wrong or something like that so when people they'll message me on a saturday and they'll ask questions i'm like dude i have a car just like you i want you to be happy I know that this is your day to install the kit or whatever yeah. you're going to do. If you have any problems, just hit us up. The only respect that I ask is that if you just get straight to the point and understand yeah. that the person on the other end is your burden. I don't want to say burdening them, but now you're giving them more things to think about on their everyday basis. So if you come to us and you text us, hey, man, I wanted to get a transmission kit. Can you send me the link? That's like the most perfect message Boom. i could ever get here you go Dude. got you yes 10 minutes later yeah. you see that Here's order a coupon come too man just thank you perfect <laughs> and then you get the the customers that um they say hey thank you man i appreciate your support for answering this i'm like no i thank you because without you we're nothing we're yeah. we're not a business anymore and at the beginning it, it really took me to have to be humble to start thinking like that like I'm nothing without these customers. If people stop buying, the downstar isn't anything but just just a creation that I've made. You know, so it's I've really respected the customers a lot more. But then, like you were saying, I'm I'm coming from a customer service background as well. So that was already embedded in my mind. I didn't come from working on cars and thought, well, maybe I could start selling this and then try to figure out business from there. I came in with a, a Best Buy business degree for, you know, eight years or whatever I was doing. Yeah. 
Well, I think you had a little bit of a head start on me from that respect because I, I mean, I worked in customer service ish. My yeah. first job, I worked at Target. Okay. And um, actually, my whole family, there's like a lot of culinary background oh, in my really? family. Yeah. So uh, they were opening up a Target where I lived. I needed a job. I was like, happened to be, you know, 16 and they're opening up this Target. I'm like, well, I want to, I want to work in the food court. Yeah. You know, I want to. You know, and back then it wasn't, you know, shitty. It was like a grill. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, yeah. Like we grilled the burgers and, and chicken sandwiches and there was fryers for, you know, all that American shit. And, oh. uh, you know, the icing machine, the popcorn, of course. You, I remember do that. that. But, yeah, they have – they called it Food Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it was a little team of people. We, we baked cookies and stuff. It was like a, a little cafe. Um, and it was pretty nice. It wasn't all prepackaged, and a lot of it was short order. And I really enjoyed working that environment. I'd, I'd been in um, uh, like cooking environments before with my dad. My dad was a was a chef. Okay. And um, I used to you know work in a restaurant with him, bussing tables, prepping onions, whatever. What the kind hell of it, food? You know. All kinds. Like he, um, well, I mean, he's classically trained. Yeah. My my dad was trained at. Um, uh, Le Cordon Bleu. Okay, cool. And he, uh, oh no, wait, what was it called? Uh, I can't remember the name of the the school that he went to. They have one in Napa, and then they have one in, uh, I think, New York or Pennsylvania, where he lived. And yeah, I mean, he does the ice sculpture, Swan, and all that shit. Whoa. Like, yeah, no, he uh, he was a pretty he was a pretty hot shot chef in like the eighties actually very cool yeah um so you know but career-wise you know chefing is like an art yeah and which means it's a grind like and there's not a lot of appreciation right up right up front yeah you know you don't they don't just hand you a restaurant like there's a lot to that you know there's there's that scale of where you can work 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 really hard and you're just never going to hit that hockey stick. You're just going to work for the rest of your life. So, I don't know. He did that. And there was a big, big compromise in his family life. And so, he mm -hmm. throttled back and took a little bit more, like, uh, I don't want to say pedestrian, but more mainstream uh, chefing roles. So, you know, he was just working at a, a local, you know, grill, American grill place. It's a good place. Mm -hmm. um, but summer vacation to go there and work a little bit in the restaurant. So I was stoked enough to, to be cooking like as my job. And for a while I kind of wanted to do that too. But yeah. I think I just realized that career wise after seeing him, I just thought, you know what, man, like the dude is up at like four in the morning and he works a lot of times to like six or seven at night, like crazy. That's a grind and for real. Yeah, it's a real grind, and that, that's a rough industry too. Um, so I was kind of over that. Yeah. But, you know, I always uh, did well in that job. I I tried to communicate with the customers in a friendly way. Like I felt like I was really servicing them. I think there's another level to it when you're serving somebody food, because and that's why people love it because you you get more than just giving them something that they will love. You're giving them something that they're going to consume on a more personal level, like. And people have different tastes, yeah. and um, you know, I, I feel like there's a different level to to that. Yeah, there. That I was. There definitely is, dude. Um, I always say this, like I I don't like mayo. That's my thing. I I I don't like mayo, and that's it. 
You like but, mustard? Yeah, I love mustard. I feel like people are either mayo people or, or mustard people, but yeah. usually not both. <laughs> but if somebody, if I was at somebody's house and they made me a sandwich and they put mayo on it, I would still eat it. Because how I feel about food is that's one of the most intimate things that you can give somebody because you're actually giving them life. You know, mm. even even like a, a beverage. You know, um, I don't drink soda, but I remember one time I was playing softball and this guy that I kind of didn't really get along with, he brought drinks for everybody from McDonald's, everybody's sodas. And there was such an internal conflict with me of mm. me swearing off soda or me, you know, being rude to this guy because he decided to give me a drink out of the goodness of his heart, mm. you know? So that's the way that I look at food in like a, a very intimate setting because it, it literally does give you life. Hmm. And it's, uh, I think it's okay to say no thanks if you don't want a soda. Yeah, I mean, I'm just crazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I mean, I think you have to have principles, right? It feeds into who you are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I get what you mean about food, man. And that could probably be intoxicating to a chef. And that could be the, the driving force behind them being successful is just oh, yeah. seeing people's eyes light up from what they cook. You invent it. You make it. You know, somebody orders it. You make it. You give it to them. You go, how was it? Yeah. You know, did you like it? Yeah. Like, and you're hoping for that universal. Yeah. You know, and you know, if they're successful, then they're going to get that a lot. Maybe they won't always appreciate it, but you know. Yeah. Do you, yeah. do you equate that to, um, you offering parts, delivering them, hoping they get to them in a, in a timely manner, them installing it and them having a, a happiness with the transaction? Uh, I do. I, I feel like, you know, that, you know, I feel like that same warm belly, desire yeah. is still there like i still want them to be happy with the preparation the presentation the timeliness the you know i i still want somebody to feel like the whole thing went really well i have to be i mean i have to be brutally honest like it's hard to actually extend out to people and say like how was every facet of this order? Because all kinds of little things can go wrong. I mean, I've had people hold me like responsible for something that the UPS driver did when they dropped it off. Mm. And it's like, man, <laughs> once I put the label on it, it's gone. There's very little that I can do about that. You <laughs> yeah. know, like there's claims we can do this, but you're just whining. And yeah. so, I mean, I guess in that industry, the, even in cooking and everything else, there's a limit. Right. And, um, you know, that's where that's where the customer's always right thing kind of breaks down because they, they might have a problem. Yeah. But it's not really applicable to the situation or the or whatever. And I, that's where I've, I've had to kind of alter my thinking about that phrase. Yeah. And and learn that the meaning isn't that the customer's always correct. I think it just means that the customer's reaction is always genuine. Right. And you have to receive that message that they're giving you and interpret it, run it through some filters. You know, there could be a lot of shit going on with this guy right now. Like, yeah. I don't know, maybe they ordered five things and every one of them was wrong. Maybe they ordered three times from us and every time it's been wrong. Yeah. And 
you know, once you get something wrong, then it's under the microscope the next time. And so the pressure is even more to do it right the next time. And when it rains, it pours, you know, sometimes you get a guy and like you can do him no good. Yeah. Like, Mr. Customer, for your own good, you should shop somewhere else because I just am not hitting the mark with you. <laughs> but, you know, I don't I would never really tell somebody that. But sometimes that's how you feel. Like, I want the person to have good service and I'm not able to do it for some reason, really. And maybe I'm doing the best I can. It's just not good enough for you. And that's a reality also. So I think once you understand that people's reactions are the way they are uh, and they may or may not be justified. The fact remains that you still have to handle it. Mm -hmm. And if there's nothing, if there's, there's never nothing you can do. There's always something that you can do. Yeah. And it starts sometimes with just an apology, you know, uh, sometimes that's even lost, but, but, you know, I, I do try to ask people like, how's everything go? They call me up, they have an issue with a product that they bought. I, I maybe I can't give them the answer because I don't know or I don't I don't I just don't know. Yeah. Like I don't know what that noise is, dude. Like I would say go to a mechanic. I always say, let me know how it turns out. Like because I want to know what it ended up being. Yeah. People never get back to me. But at least it shows that I care. Like and I, I do care. Like I would really love if they would call me back and tell me what the issue was so that we can know that for the next person. Um yeah, I, the striving to do as good as you can for everybody all the time is there, but uh, it's just really, it's just really not possible sometimes. I think you just have to understand that there's always a way to do better, but you define in your own business who your customers are. Yeah, and if you're not able to help that guy, then really he probably should shop or eat somewhere else you know yeah. sorry we don't do burgers here we do pizza you know <laughs> i feel you on that one man uh one key thing that you did say was uh putting it through filters yeah. their, their their question their uh response what their issue seems to be um and that's one thing that's really been challenging for me and something that my wife helps out with a lot is keeping things really level-headed you know mm -hmm. us as as business owners sometimes we get that idea lost and we think of ourselves as enthusiasts still you know <laughs> whether we still are but you have to if you've put yourself in this situation where you're now going to sell parts you're now going to be the one that's supplying this this quote unquote meal to them you have to be more mature in the way that you handle the questions that they're coming out with rather than coming with the same energy that they're coming with say if they yeah. message you say where's my package instead of saying something like who are you? I don't even know who you are. You don't have an order yeah. number or anything. You simply yeah. just look at their email, search it on your database. It'll pop up, you know, yeah. and then, and then try to try to douse the fire there because yeah. you never know what that customer is going through. And just like you said, what if this was the second time that they've dealt with you? They've had an issue. What if the issue has nothing to even do with cars, but his, his wife or his family, they're having issues and he's trying to escape this about how we all do it is work on our hobby 
And now he can't even do that because some issue with a part that he ordered from you or the bolt kit that he got from me is missing something. And now we're just setting this dude uh, off the edge. And I feel like most people don't look at it that way. And that's kind of what separates businesses from the others where you're able to take it to that mature level instead of coming at them with the same energy that they came with, with who yeah. knows what's wrong with them. Maybe they're going through some frustrations or something. Yeah. And that's just one example of, of, of a reason why, you know, you get to the, Oh, I really wanted to put this in this weekend. Yeah. This is my only weekend off every month this is the third weekend. And, and you fucked me. I'm like, well, man, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did not know that. Well, yeah. like, it is way too late for me to <laughs> I can't blip one to you, but you know <laughs> it you feel like you're in an impossible situation. And all you could do is just say, like, yeah, I mean first of all, who screwed up? Yeah. Was it even us? You know, sometimes it's the guy. Yeah. You know, they'll come railing on you and it's like, Well, it looks like you you got what you ordered, and yeah. if that's not what you wanted, then maybe the order was incorrect. Yeah. You know, in a non-accusational way, it looks like we sent you what was on your order, and that was put in online. So maybe we need to get you something else. Yeah. Just cut right to the fucking fix, man. Like, well, you ordered the wrong thing. Like, well, that doesn't matter. He has the wrong thing. Yeah. That's what you got to fix. However, he ended up with the wrong thing. That's something else to that's a different conversation. And you can have that conversation usually really, really easily after you have fixed the problem. Yeah. Or provide a solution. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um but sometimes you never really know how somebody's gonna react. This guy not that long ago bought oh, I'll just come up with a random situation. Oh, I got an exhaust system and I'm missing like two nuts and bolts. So I can't put it on. Like I got four, but I need six. And then you and I and most other car people <laughs> would take a nut, take a bolt, go down to Ace yeah. or Home Depot and stand there for five minutes and find ones that look exactly the same and use those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you say that to some people, they're going to get pissed. Yeah. You want me to go and say, this guy got really pissed. Like, you want me to waste my time? And I'm right there. I'm like, okay. Uh, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to send you? Like, I will send him. I was just giving you this idea that you could go get this done now because I can send you bolts and then you're going to get them three, four days from now. Yeah. Or you can, in a couple of hours, take care of this yourself. I'll reimburse you for the bolts. I have no problem for that. But, um, you know, you, you never know what they're, ideal solution is going to be sometimes sometimes those people are just being unreasonable one guy wanted me to pay him for the time that it took that he's going to have to do the job over again it's a diy yeah like i'm not i'm not going to pay you an hourly wage to work on your own fucking car (laughs) (laughs) that dude's a hustler bro (laughs) i don't think that's going to work out buddy (laughs) yeah one of the things that i really do like to use especially if it is there, it is getting heated. I'll just put it out there. What do you want me to do? You let yeah. me know what you want me to do. I'm not saying it. What do you want me to do? I'm saying, you tell me. I'm I'm yeah. in your control. What do you want me to do? Because so you guess. You're going to guess wrong half the time. Mm-hmm. My wife was telling me about this the other day. Yeah, we work together a lot, you know, as well. And 
she was telling me that I that I should adjust some of my tone on some of the things that I was saying because you know I'm not I'm not providing the solution. I'm like, well, I can do that in a lot of situations, but there's a lot of situations where I I can't because you know oh I got a J pipe you know exhaust pipe for a TL and the flex is broken. All right, well we replace those for free you know over you know we have a policy, but. Sometimes people come at me like, I need a new one. Yeah. I need a new whole pipe, and then I'll swap out this one. Well, it's not Chinese junk. I can't just send you a new one. Like when I, sell, when I sold one, I couldn't have bought four. Like it, the, the markup is like 10 or 20%. Like I, can't, like I can't just send you a new one. I said, I can sell you a new one at a deeply discount. I'll sell you a cost, a replacement, if that's what you want. And he got lit up. Yeah. And I thought, well, dude, like, I'm not trying to offend you. You said you wanted a new one. Well, I don't really care. I just want it fixed. I'm like, okay, well, if you send it to me, we can fix it and send it back. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, for somebody coming at me like, I want a new one, it felt weird to me that it was somehow okay for them to pull it off their car, have the car down, send it to me, and then two weeks later get it back repaired. To me, like... They're not interchangeable solutions. Yeah. But so when he asked for a new one, I instantly thought, how do I put a new one in his hands? You know, this is how. And I'm like, I can, you send me the other one back, I'll refund you, you know, prorate it. But no, that was the wrong way to go. And I thought I was doing what he wanted. And, uh, you know, it's just there's the, the people will find new ways to challenge your your service ability. Yeah. They'll find 16 years in, I got in big trouble with the guy who bought something and then returned it. Well, the thing had free shipping on it when he bought it. Uh -huh. When he returned it, I'm refunded him, but I didn't refund him that shipping cost. Yeah. Cause I still had to pay for it. Right. Like you don't get the shipping's not really free. And he informed me that the shipping was free. He didn't pay for it. And therefore, it wasn't an expense that he should be responsible for if he had to return it. Uh. And I was like, after so many years, that, that felt unreasonable. Nobody had ever come to me with that. I mean, I thought, that's unbelievable. This guy found a problem that I didn't know existed. So now, we don't do free shipping, hmm. ever. On many items, we have shipping included. Yeah. And the policy was rewritten to state that if you're going to return an item that had shipping included in the price, that shipping will be deducted from your re return. So I refunded the guy all of his money because, you know what? I looked at it like this. You did me a favor because now I'm not going to have to deal with this shit again. <laughs> you know, I can fix my policy yeah. and make it so that it's more clear for the next person next time and that they won't have a weird feeling about not getting that money back because the shipping was free. I, I should I shouldn't have to be responsible for that. You paid for that. Well, now it's included. You paid for it when you bought the item. Got you. So those little things, people always find new little ways to challenge it. And, and you know, the best possible way that I can look at it is to say, you just helped me improve my business. Yeah. So here, you deserve the money, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, sometimes it's better just to refund them and say, you know what? Keep whatever you have. Here's your money back. Find a better option. I'm sorry we weren't what you wanted us to be. And um, that's 
that's the challenges of customer service. And that that's why I can just imagine that a lot of businesses in our space don't focus as much on customer service because it does pop up issues and headaches like that. So that brings me to my next question. What made you realize the importance of customer service? And did you realize it at the beginning of the business or it took time to learn that skill? Mm. I think that customer service is something that is widely said, but not really understood. Uh, I've been doing, um, practicing customer service long enough that I consider myself to be pretty good at it. Um, my wife has a similar kind of deal. She's in human resources. Mm -hmm. There's a big understanding about like misunderstanding a lot of times about what human resources is really all about. And it's about a lot of things that aren't really easy to define if you haven't been exposed to it a lot. Um, so customer service I think is one of those things that I take really seriously because I see that as the number one source of future business. Mm -hmm. um, it's the return customers. It's what allows me not to advertise. Like I, I got, I sponsor your show. That's the only thing I sponsor right now. I, I have no ads. Thank you. I have no banners anywhere. I, I get heartburn. I don't know sometimes where to put, advertising money yeah so it just goes into my website to try to make it better but because of the fact that i have a good relationship with the you know the vast majority of our customer base they refer us all the time mm -hmm. and they keep coming so once you realize like okay my workload is such that i can't be in the forums all the time and i can't be monitoring facebook you rely on that that group of people out there who know and love you already to give other customers or potential customers your lead to give them the confidence that you can buy from us. I mean, people still hit us up. Is this a legit open website? You know, cause there's a lot of dead websites out mm -hmm. there that are just up and you can send them money, but nobody there. Yeah. So, you know, I think over time, the realization that customer service is a critical part of, I mean, your viability as a business because it channels all the way through to that story that somebody's going to tell about you. Um, I mean, I settle for no unhappy people. Like, like you can't have unhappy people. I mean, some with, with few exception, some people will be impossible to make happy. But um, if I can help it, like I always will, will do that. Um, so... It's something that's we've been doing over time, mm -hmm. you know, and like the lesson about the the re return shipping guy, like it's the culmination of having dealt with that over and over and over again and understanding what people are asking of you and giving them what they ask for. And you don't really necessarily have to give them a whole bunch more. I think that um, many adults are a lot like kids where they just want to know what the outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, kids yeah. like, you know, it's young kids. They, they do things over and over and over again because it's gratifying to them. They do it once they get a surprise, right? They do it again and the same thing happens. And now if I keep doing it, the same thing keeps happening, right? It gives them comfort 
to know what the outcome is going to be when they impact something. Well, I think that the same thing happens with people when they buy stuff online. If you buy something online and you get burned, then you're going to have a bad attitude towards it. Mm -hmm. When they come around to us and they buy something online and it's a good experience, then we're hoping that encourages them to keep doing it. Um, And sometimes there's a little rockiness in between, but it always ends up good. You always try to take care of people. And then... um, yeah, man, I'm hoping I'm answering your question. I, yeah, um, one one thing that I'm going to ask a follow-up on that is, do you feel that it's more uh, business-oriented, your customer service, or do you see that bleeding over into your, uh, your normal everyday life where you want uh, every interaction to be a positive interaction? Well, my everyday life is really... It, it becomes more difficult, ultimately, because I think once you once you start interacting with customers along a certain line, and then one day maybe you get to be the customer, and you don't get back what you would do, uh, that can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, my wife and I are really in the same wave pattern on many, many, many things. So we just commiserate over things sometimes you know the stupid shit that people say on on social media the experience with this or that store or the experience you might have had dealing with a government agency and i'm not saying that they're all bad some of them are very very good and then you could just really appreciate so one of the things that we do is and my wife is is fucking great at this is that she she doles out positive compliments uh, when she notices excellence as a customer. So like if we're having a really amazing time at a restaurant, she asks for the manager to come over and like really compliments the service, the you know, and managers love that stuff. Yeah. Because then it lets you know that you're doing something right. You know, you don't always know when you're doing something wrong, but you well, y'all, a lot of times you'll find out when you're doing something right. If you did do something wrong, you want to know about that too so you can fix it. Yeah. Sometimes people just have a bad experience and they disappear and never come back. And then that's a bad thing too. So I think that what it's really given us ability to do is like understand the underlying things below people's exterior what motivates them and what they're trying to do or what the desired outcome is supposed to be or where they're stepping wrong or stepping right. And try to understand that. It just helps you deal with people all the way around. Um, you know, if school, right? The, the kids have school, and you get an email with the school for some reason, or or if you're in a parent group, yeah. and you're trying to email one of the other parents. Like some parents, some 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 grown ass adults don't check their email, but like once or twice a week. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I would do. Like. Granted, your and my life kind of revolves around email and communication. But even if I didn't have that, like, I think I probably check my email once or twice a day. You know? I mean, depending how much of your your life has to do with uh, receiving and sending emails. I get what you mean. But then I try to tap into back before I worked for, well, before I had Downstar. I remember having thousands of emails just chilling, not being read because it wasn't my way of dealing with anything. So I yeah, think was anybody trying to like you're not part of a 
Were you? Would you expect any? Email? I guess. I guess if you're expecting them and you're just not checking them, that's one thing. But I know that there's some people that they just don't use email because it it doesn't. That must be wonderful. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> like the use pattern on my phone, I feel like is huge, and I've only yeah. got. <laughs> You know, one Instagram, one Facebook, and I don't know. I think about you and all the different accounts and shit. I'm like, I have, oh my God. I have a lot. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's difficult to articulate how working in the business impacts my personal life. There's so much overlap, yeah. but I think what it really does is I think it just allows us to be a lot more understanding, acceptable of people's situations. That positive, the I. I would tell everybody listening, like if you notice somebody doing a good job, like I don't care if it's Costco or a restaurant or you're at a theme park, even if you just tell that person, thank you, you've been really, really helpful. I very much appreciate your assistance. This is great. Like now I can have a good time doing what I would do. You know? Yeah. They love it. And I think that that makes you feel good too. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, one thing that I've implemented in my own life I can't pinpoint it. I would have to say at least in the last four years is every time I come into contact with somebody where I have to have a conversation with them, I always ask them, how are they doing? And yeah. it doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you're at Starbucks and you're ordering from the intercom, there's really no need to ask somebody how they're doing because you're speaking into this speaker. But for me, on the other end of that speaker is somebody working right now, literally um, risking their life at this very moment to provide their service for the pay that's probably not even worth risking your life. You know, so uh, every time that I get the chance to say, hey, how are you doing? Look them in the eyes and genuinely ask them. And a lot of the times people's they're just so surprised that anybody they turn around. Yeah. That anybody even, uh, acknowledge them as more than just a, a being there taking mm -hmm. care of a service. You actually interact with them as a human and you see yeah. that, that, that wall just crumble down. And, uh, it's come to the point where people, they know me at Starbucks from being <laughs> the guy who asked them, how are they doing? Which is, yeah. it's awesome on, it makes me feel good on my end, but on the opposite side, they see hundreds of customers through the day and how many of them are really treating them as a human. So that's one of the reasons why I like to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it makes a difference. It really does. And you know, I think it's, you know, not to switch gears away from that too much, but I noticed that it became a lot easier to do that kind of thing after I moved. I was in Orange County for mm -hmm. a really, really long time. And we moved up to Oregon here. And you get a lot more of that just all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like people aren't in as much of a rush and there's not as much pressure. Yeah. And people take, you know, the extra couple of milliseconds just to like acknowledge that there's another human being. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it became easier to be like that. Um outwardly i'm kind of i'm kind of a friendly guy too like i'll just say some shit to somebody in a grocery store or whatever anyway yeah like just because that's my personality and you know whenever i would do that in california <laughs> it's like the person kind of does this what do you like what does crazy this person or whatever. want yeah. like what do you want like i'm not going to talk to you because you might talk some more <laughs> to me 
But I, legitimate funny things happen. Like two strangers in a grocery store. I mean, it's okay to to say like and to acknowledge it and laugh next to somebody who you don't know. Yeah. Like that's fine. You you're not obligated to, you know, talk to that person or even see them ever again. Except for, you know, maybe three aisles later. You know how that happened. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back in one minute. We all know that there's tons of places you can buy your car parts at. But when you really need help, who's in your corner? When you need parts for your Honda, you need to visit HeelToeAuto.com. Since 2002, Heeltoe has built a reputation for service and support. Let me repeat that, guys. Since 2002. It's 2020 right now. That's a long time of experience, man. These social media slingers and copycat web stores can't match Hilto's professionalism. Hilto even offers a complete OEM store for all your genuine parts needs. Whether it's for show, race, or just a badass daily, remember that HiltoAuto.com is in your corner. And guys, if you're on Instagram, make sure you check them out at Hilto Automotive. Please, please go to their page right now, add them, and comment that you heard them on Downtime with Downstar podcast. Next up is Downstar. Downstar is the premium leader in dress-up hardware and engine bay accessories. We have all the nuts and bolts for all your screwing and nutting needs. From engine kits, transmission kits, mount kits, clutch lines, brake kits, t-shirts, skateboards, hats, lighters damn we got it all we we actually have too much guys so if you can please come over and buy some stuff at downstarring.com or check us out at instagram at downstar make sure you give us a follow now back to the show and then it gets awkward (laughs) yeah well it could be if you make it but it doesn't have to be right but up here like people are a lot more open to that kind of like casual ridiculousness and it's become easier to be more open. You know what's funny you know? is um first time I ever went to Oregon was last year this time because Yeah, uh, oh yeah, my, you were up yeah, you guys came up to Portland. Yeah, just it was, to chill. Uh, our know, right? anniversary um was yesterday. So our one year anniversary thank you, bro. Way. I appreciate it. Thank you. Our one year anniversary we spent in Portland because mm-hmm. um I had a show coming up, you know, we're always busy. Every time we go on vacation, it's usually for business. And then we squeeze in a day or so to have a vacation. And then I said, you know what? We've always wanted to try somewhere out new. Why don't we just try Portland? Cause we just love Portlandia. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, that place looks awesome. And we yeah. went and Man, it's like a different world. It it was it was very community based. Everybody seemed like they were part of something bigger, and they they treated you like another human rather than just another rat in the race. Which uh, which was very cool, man. I really really yeah. liked it out there. Yeah, it's a it's nice. It's like Portland is such an easy town. It's a it's a little big city. Yeah, it's a small city, right? Like industry wise and and all of that like it is not and geographically it's not very big either yeah um definitely playing second fiddle to seattle up here mm-hmm. it's pretty the one funny portlandia you mentioned the part that we always crack up over this the crazy mayor oh yeah show he goes damn it seattle he saw they made it on the cover of portland weekly again <laughs> like where the fuck was seattle portland, portland magazine <laughs> 
But we joke about it all the time because it's like Seattle's where all the shit is going on. Like all the car shows up in Seattle and all this concert Seattle. It's like, dude, Portland's good too. I mean, we get our fair share of stuff, yeah. you know, for like entertainment. But like to get car stuff going on here, it's very like, it's rare. So what's the distance? You know, from it's like three hours. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's like three something, three hours, a little bit more. You know, the traffic can be really, really bad up there. It's not nearly as bad right here. But, um, you know, part of what makes that dynamic a benefit to us is that, I mean, you can always cruise into Portland. You're almost never going to hit any traffic. If you do, it's going to be like slowing you down like 10 minutes. It's people up here, bitch, but it's not that bad, seriously. And you can always park somewhere downtown and half the time you don't even have to pay yeah because it's like there's no meter i mean there's more now that but it, it's still it's super easy to, dealing with portland i never went to los angeles when we lived down there i went a couple of times to la and it just it's like a big adventure yeah especially if you're from like south oc like it's a big adventure going to los angeles and we just never did it, it just it was too difficult too much bullshit too many people it's like difficult just to get there. Mm-hmm. Portland is for us. I mean, we're out in the sticks right here, and it's only thirty-five maybe minutes, and we can hit the heart of downtown. Hmm. And to them, that's we're far out, but to us, I feel like we're pretty close. So we go every couple of weeks, you know, and have a dinner or something. Now, yeah, no, what's no. the what's the cost of living like up there compared to maybe a California? It's less. Um, we like for real estate, you get about probably twice for your money. Whoa! Yeah, it's we had a townhome. It was like sixteen hundred square foot townhome, two car garage, no property. I mean, like a little one of those things that you get, mm-hmm. right? The fence around it. Um, and you know, it was like a three bedroom. It was a nice townhome. Like we really liked it. The problem that we had with it is you know, we're car people. And like, I've never just got two cars. Yeah. <laughs> and even in one of those two car garages, you barely can fit two cars in it. Once you put a toolbox and mm-hmm. bicycles and, you know, everything that you don't want to pay for storage, you know, but you yeah. probably have a storage unit too. Like, this is cramped if you're into cars. And um, we we were able to sell that. And for basically similar money, I have a pretty big house on a good-sized lot. You know, the house is like 2,800 square feet. Mm. My garage is gigantic. My garage is 1,300 square feet. Whoa. Yeah. My garage is bigger than our first place that we ever had. Wow. Um, People like they get garage. I'm sitting out in it now. People get like garage envy. Like, whoa, it goes like that. I got a lift in here. We got a lot of stuff. So, like, it's is necessary for the car life to have a big garage. And then I got like an RV pad on the side. And then we got a, you know, a pretty good backyard. We got a nice lot that backs up to a park. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're kind of like brought our dirty California money up here <laughs> and people don't like it, but also, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here and I wouldn't say that it's cheap. It, mm-hmm. It's cheaper than California. Um, 
We don't have any sales tax, mm-hmm. which is cool. There's the income tax is higher mm-hmm. uh, than California, but I think that comes out in the wash mostly. Um, yeah, so we were able to do pretty well property wise um, for similar money as that townhome, but you know we don't have the association dues. You know the associations will kill you. Yeah, I mean that's like government with no rules. That's unchained. Uh, associations are are really difficult to live with when they can. It's just they just the cost goes up. You know every couple of years. Did you have problems with them uh, telling you about your cars or anything like that? You know, I always keep my nose clean. I've never had, I've never had a problem mm. that I couldn't mitigate. Uh, I've never had a problem with neighbors. You know, you make friends with your neighbors enough to where they know who you are and what your deal is. I worked on cars almost every weekend when we lived down there. Every Saturday, I worked on like at least two or three cars, just bolting shit on. You know, intakes. Tanes mostly, tank coilovers. Yeah. And I'd have like at least one a weekend, but a lot of times two or three cars on a Saturday. And yeah, pull in, close the door, hand tools. I did use air tools too, but I never ruffled any feathers. Yeah. I start after nine, never started before nine. Nine's a pretty good time. And I never worked past five. Yeah. I mean, most of the time I was done by like 12 or one. So it was consistent, um, but not too intrusive. People never really had a problem with it. But got to be discreet. Door closed, definitely, etc. So, so what there's, made there's you guys? There's a two-way street there. What made you guys uh, want to leave California? I'm assuming you were born and raised California. Yeah, I was born in Napa, okay. actually, um, and we lived in uh, Northern California, or northern mm-hmm. right california for most of my life and then we relocated to orange county when i was a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. and um so i was there from 94 met my wife like five six years later we were together forever um and then just after we had our first son and we had gone to a couple of different houses um we were just really like kind of wanting to get out of the you know the rat race or the rats in a cage mm-hmm. like what you were saying rats in a, it just really felt like and and south orange county is a nice place to live right mission viejo where we lived uh is a, is a it's clean and there's like no crime and it's just a nice place right yeah it's like a fairy tale place but the problem is is that it stops feeling real after a while. Hmm. You know, there's, there's the people have a, a look and there's like a facade and then like everybody's got a ritzy car, but you know, they can't afford it. Mm. Like, you know how your expenses are mm-hmm. and you're like, we do okay. And I couldn't have that fucking car. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I could, well, all right. Well, if I'm honest with myself, I can roll into Irvine BMW and get an eight hundred or thousand dollar a month lease yeah. on a stupid BMW. <laughs> like, I could do that. Let Let's not lie, right? Yeah. Like, I would be a moron to do that. Yeah. But Here. I think there's just a lot of people. <laughs> oh yeah. But here's the thing. There's a difference, right? Because you at least have an avenue for having a car like that. You have a reason to have it. 
you're a car enthusiast, these people are just getting a ritzy car to have a yeah. ritzy car, right? Like, I don't think a lot of these people really gave a crap that they were driving an eighty or ninety thousand dollar car, right? Yeah. Um, and I think just a lot of people were making a lot of money down there, but I think a lot of people weren't, and it gets confusing because your friend circle gets a little weird. I don't know. It just didn't feel genuine. So would you see the veil being lifted up w- with certain friends and it made you question their uh, authenticity? Um, when I say authenticity, I don't mean as a human being, right? I, because I feel like the people that were down there, in retrospect, right, now that I don't live there anymore, a lot of them were very, very friendly people. And they were successful people. A lot of them well-educated. I mean, they are... And the getting to know you period is very quick. Like once somebody had a reason to want to know who you were, you could get along with people great. That's what I love about the West Coast. It's like, especially California, people are open and just generally pretty happy when they're in their own environment. When you're outside, that's when everything changes. It's like the, you know, like the the old Disney cartoon, Mr. Wheeler. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. Like Goofy. Uh, there was a like a like a traffic um, or driving cartoon that they did that was, you know, kind of a play on traffic safety videos. And, you know, uh, Mr. Walker, uh-huh. Disney uh, had Mr. Walker, which was goofy as he walked out of his house, little spectacles and a nice suit. And he's polite and says hi to his neighbors and everything like that. And he gets in his car and as soon as he starts his car to leave the house, he, he turns into like, it's like a, a Mr. Hyde thing. Got you, got you, got you. Yeah, and he turns into a monster, and he turns into Mr. Wheeler. Yeah. And he's, like, cutting people off and knocking over <laughs> babies on the side of the road <laughs> and, like, you know, being an asshole. Just, it's like when you're out in California on that 405, you know, and you're trying to, like, change lanes. Yeah. It's like Mr. Wheeler right there. But, in, you know, if you're out of the car, you know, and you're at the guy's house at a barbecue or his neighbors, and it's like, you meet somebody new, it's like usually pretty chill. Yeah. Like usually pretty awesome, right? Like, so I feel like people were actually really genuine people. It's just a difficult environment to be in because people are just putting out, you know, a persona and aggressiveness. Like this just the shit that they're putting out to total strangers. It's feels overbearing after a while. At least it did for us. Right. Because, you know, maybe this ties into the business thing. I think the the reality of dealing with so many people on a given day, like you talk to people all over the country and some people are just straight up nice. Like they don't even have a reason to be. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, when we left and we came up here, uh, people were like a lot more nice. I mean, it's harder to get to know folks to a certain extent just because they're not. People tend to stay a little cooped up here for mm-hmm. a good chunk of the year. Because of the weather. Yeah. But, um, man, when that sun comes out, like, everybody's happy. Yeah. And it's just, you can't run, you can't find an unhappy person. I remember on Portlandia where it was, uh, the clouds would break a little bit (laughs) and they're chasing, (laughs) they would chase the sun. Yeah. They have a party. (laughs) Music. (laughs) Tops come off. In that little section. Yeah. (laughs) But that happens, dude. Like, it, in springtime is when it happens a lot. We'll have a gorgeous day and it's beautiful and the temperature on your skin is like perfect. 
and the air is cool, but your skin is warm. It's like, oh, this is amazing. And then a cloud goes by the sun. Yeah. <laughs> and then temperature drops like five, six degrees. And you're like, dude, now I'm cold. It sucks. <laughs> and you deal with it. You deal with it. Put a hoodie on. Now I'm cool. And then the cloud goes and then it's hot again. Yeah. Like, dude. <laughs> It's just like that. That I think that that's one of the biggest reasons that we've never left uh, our area in California is just because of the weather. Um, but I'm just trying to think, like, are we holding ourselves back from something else that we could be experiencing? You know, I, I, we joke a little bit about people ask us why we left and why we moved up here. And I say, well, of course, because of the weather. <laughs> and it's funny because... You think that California's got perfect weather, but it doesn't. Unless yeah. you like that desert hot, like that hot air and that, you know, the fucking Santa Ana winds. Yeah. I'm just, uh, we don't, we didn't like it. Yeah. You know, 100 degrees is too hot for me. 95 degrees is like, I get uncomfortable. Um, we just don't really like that kind of environment. So unless I'm going to be living at the beach, and yeah. even then it gets pretty hot there too, like, we actually prefer the cooler weather and the seasons are cool. Yeah. It's nice having the season. So, but you know, yeah, we moved and six months in, it's like, oh, did we do the right thing? Like we didn't really have to leave. Like we were doing okay. But, um, no, it, it turned out fine. I, I think that you could make yourself whatever you want out of whatever you want. I, having spent so much time in Southern California made me who I am in terms of the car person and the business person that I am. Yeah. Having not having been in California, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel very, very privileged to have lived there and had the car life that I had in California. Mm -hmm. Um, because without it, I wouldn't have been able to have this business i think yeah no because i feel you on that there are other shops up here like there are other businesses that are significant you know like speed factory english racing ets you know there's some like really bitch and shit going on up here like i just don't think i would have the richness and the density of all of that happening in southern california like you can go on the internet forum and find people all over the country doing similar things, but probably half of them are in SoCal. Mm -hmm. Or at least maybe a quarter of them, and then a quarter of them are in Northern California, and then the rest of them are everywhere else. Yeah. And and that that all the importing happens down there. The companies are all down there. You just run into people. It makes it hard to leave. It definitely does. If I wanted to get something done, if I want to build a car, it would probably be way faster than any other part of the country just because there's so many resources in this small area. And if you get jammed up in a certain spot, hey, does anybody know who paints? Oh, my, my guy paints over here. Okay, take the car over there. Who builds motors? I got that guy right here. And you could do all of that within a 50 to 100 mile Tell radius. Me, is that why my car's not done yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been working on it too long, man. Me too, man. I have too many projects going on. I haven't touched them <laughs> at all. But you know how that goes. So um, let's actually get into when you got bit by the car bug. When did that happen? Uh, yeah, I was waiting for this one. You know, I, I've always liked cars. I think I've always liked 
I've always liked mechanical things, but I think cars more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the Hot Wheels and all that when you're a little kid. I it don't think it became very real for me until I started driving, though. Like, when I got my first car, like, I mean, I didn't really, I, I, knew, it, I knew I wanted a CRX hmm. because when I was, uh, before we had moved from uh, Vacaville, that's where I was in, up in Vacaville. Okay. Uh, I was a sophomore riding the bus. Shitty, like all the buses lined up, and then some of the kids get to drive, yeah, and then some of the kids get the cool cars, right? Yeah, and this, the the cool jock guy, like his dad, bought him a '91 CRX, and yeah. it was like, uh, it was in '93 or whatever. So this is like, oh wow, basically a new car, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and I just I have burned into my memory the animated GIF of him driving i'm sitting in the bus and he's driving his hot red brand new all stock crx out of the parking lot and i was just like dude those are so cool like i love crx's so i knew i had to get one and in when i got my first car it was like 1995 and uh well let's find a crx their second gen ones were way too much money. You know, I only had like fifteen hundred bucks to spend, uh-huh. and I ended up with an eighty-four, one point five DX, and mostly because, the guidance of my mom, this one has a rebuilt cylinder head, so it's probably not going to have any problems, <laughs> right? Like, okay, the timing belt broke. They bent some valves and they put a new head on it, and yeah, the car was reasonably good shape, but it was not anything. I don't even have any pictures of it, yeah. right? Like. <laughs> Um, but once I got that car and, um, yeah, I did things with it. Like I, I cleaned it up, tried to detailing it, um, put in my own stereo, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I took on little projects like that, that helped. And I was encouraged because my, my, I should say my, my parents got divorced when I was really, really young. I was like a year old okay. and my parents got divorced and both of them ended up remarried pretty quick after that too. So uh, my biological dad, he was much more into cars and gadgety things and tech. And he's like a, one of those early adopter guys. You know, he had a laser disc player. Oh, shit. Like, <laughs> he, yeah. You know, so my dad was always buying shit. And, um, you know, visiting with him, which they lived in the East Coast, uh, visiting with him, I would get to, you know, be with him with his car habit you know wash it here's how you wash a car he showed me how to detail a car mm-hmm. okay great so i got my car and then i'm like oh my dad told me how to detail i'm gonna clean this car up it was kind of a turd so there was no cleaning it really available yeah like i could make the dirt go away but it was not ever a good looking car <laughs> yeah um and uh i kind of got a lot of that from him. so i tinkered with it a little bit i ended up crashing that thing because it drove like total a-hole uh-huh. like the, the minute that I I turned probably into Mr. Wheeler, actually, like <laughs> I wasn't mean, like I wasn't an asshole, but I, I just drove like I was invincible. Yeah. Right. Like I drove really, really crazy and I wrecked that car and uh, uh, ended up getting what would have been much better in the first place, which was a different CRX, but an SI model. OK. So I had the 84 DX 
1.5. Now I've got an 87 silver SI. Yeah. Which is just, and it was much nicer. It had been resprayed, and it was like nicer interior, fuel injected motor. I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna, you know, now I got this car, and uh, I did a lot more with that one, but only after having gotten initiated by a buddy, another buddy of mine. I was like, hey man, I think I need to tune, my car needs a tune-up. Like, oh, let's throw some uh, spark plugs and a cap and rotor and let's change the oil. And he showed me how to do all of that stuff in his garage. I never knew any of that. But then once he, once he showed me how to get the first plug out, it was like, okay, I can, I can do this. This is, I played with the Legos a lot when I was a kid and it really kind of felt like that. You know, it's like instead of clicking, you screw it. Yeah. Like that simple. So, um, having then wrecked that car and then I got another one and then another buddy of mine that I came across, uh, <laughs> each one of these buddies has their own story too, by the way. <laughs> another guy that I came across, uh, he was a lot younger, but he kind of did the same thing as me. Like once he got a car, he got a CRX and then. He was all, let's do an engine swap. Oh, wow. So engine swapping back then, you know, late 90s, was not widely being done. And a lot of people didn't know how to do it. You know, putting that B16 in there was one thing, Mm -hmm. getting it bolted in. But people had a hard time getting them running properly. Um, They couldn't get the VTEC to work on a lot of these things. They would, like... It used to be you get the big autometer tack, right? This is this is how some guys did this shit. They get the big autometer tack with the shift light, yeah, and you could set the RPM that the shift light would come on, right? Yeah, and then you wire the shift light to your VTEC solenoid. Oh wow! <laughs> so like, the shift light comes on like way 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 too early <laughs> to turn on the VTEC <laughs> and that's the fucking blaring you in the face <laughs> while you're <laughs> oh. that's what people did. I mean a lot of people didn't do that but yeah. some people definitely <laughs> did do that and um you know then it, it, people figured it out after a while like people like Hasport yeah came and was they they refined and made it like proper like here's how you do a swap like yes these people can do it but they're all kind of sucking ass at it and hasport i think and that's when i i got initiated with brian was through wiring actually huh um yeah so way back uh i think it was like the third or fourth crx i had because i kept wrecking them um and i did lose my license in there at one point you were just crashing them I mean, it's not like demolition derby stuff. So I was getting into an accident by driving too fast. Oh, I can't stop. You know, somebody pull out in front of me or I cut the corner to, you know, hit a median. Oh, like, I wrecked like three of those things. Wow. And, yeah, I'm lucky to be alive, actually. I'm getting to that part, too. Yeah. Um, uh, anyhow, uh, we did a swap in my buddy's car, and then we were going out to the street races out in Ontario, and having some fun and it's like well shit i want to swap my car too so i had i had a a first generation crx at this time i think it was like this was probably the fourth one that i had Mm -hmm. and i did a swap in it um and actually that's it this one here um what is that hp motorsports hp motorsports what is that so hp motorsports at the time i was working at a a honda dealer Uh uh-huh i got out of the target deal 
and because uh, I was over that. Once I get to cars, I didn't give a shit anymore yeah. about cooking. And um, uh, the the buddy that that showed me how to do the spark plugs, he had gotten a job at uh, Total Click, Total Click, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, whatever. And so he was a he was a lot boy, mm-hmm. and then they moved him up as a technician apprentice, and then he was a, an apprentice in the used car section. He's like making all this money working on cars, and we were kids, you know, we were like 21, 23, you know, 20 years old, and 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 pulling down, you know, forty or fifty k back in the late nineties. We were we were doing hot, man. Like we were. <laughs> well, I saw this, so I was like. Actually, I was at uh, university at the time. I was going to uh, Fullerton mm-hmm. after I graduated. I graduated in 97. Mm-hmm. I went straight into Fullerton. Didn't really know what I was going to be doing. I, I signed up for mechanical engineering. I mean, I think most people know that they want to do that. I felt like that was the thing I should do. And I wasn't there the whole semester, and I ended up dropping out. I got a job at a Honda dealer. And um, we were very fortunate, actually, to be where we were because the people that owned this dealership, the general manager there, they were into racing Mm. and like performance and stuff. So they had to be one of the earliest, if not one of the, they had to be one of the first, if not the first car dealership to have a performance shop inside. Cool. Like Honda. So HP Motorsports was their in-house Performance parts, Got and they you. they had an account with um, like Dynamic Autosports back in the day, and sold Gretti, Coney, Eibach, H and R. They like sold all this stuff over the counter. Um, performance shop inside the dealer. I ended up getting a job there, mm-hmm. and I was working as a technician apprentice. And um, during that time, I put that car together. Sick and. It was just some weird uh, internet service. Oh yeah, we'll we'll make a poster of your car. You know, send oh. us some pictures, twenty bucks, and we'll make a poster of it. Oh and wow! That's how that came about. So I was like, well, let's put HP Motorsports because that's like where I work. You know, sick. Yeah. So that car ended up being kind of a cool deal. I did um, an OBD zero uh, wiring conversion on it, uh-huh. which if you know those old cars, they have fuel injection, but it was before they came out with any kind of an OBD system. It, it, everything was proprietary back then to the different manufacturers. So um, I put a, a newer ZC engine in it, twin cam, that I got from Japan mm-hmm. uh, with an Integra transmission, and I was wiring it up for like a 88 to 91 computer. Mm-hmm. And I was having some trouble doing that, and I remembered that I read in a magazine um, about these guys in Arizona that did engine swaps. Like there was a, I think it was, might have been Grassroots Motorsports. Uh I think it was Grassroots Motorsports or an old sport compact car, but I think it was Grassroots. And they had this article about, you know, Brian and Keith out in Arizona um, that they did this engine swap. They put a, a twin cam and a third generation Civic. I was like, well, these guys can help me. So I had my car apart. I, I get them on the phone and I'm at, I'm at home still. 
and I'm doing this swap and I'm, I'm going back and forth with Brian Gillespie and he never seemed to get tired or impatient of me calling. Right. Yeah. Um, Oh, you got to do this. Oh, you got to do that. And we were doing a little emailing, but we were doing mostly over the phone. I'm calling from my parents, you know, house, right? No cell phones, right? (laughs) And we got it all together and got it running, right? And so I'm like, sweet. Like, I was the only one that had the CRX running on this newer computer. Mm. And, um, you know, that's around the time that I kind of got a little bit of a name for myself online. That's when I joined up with the hybrid board okay, way, way back. It was like 98. Um, and Brian was on there and you know, it was just kind of, I felt like I had a place there because yeah. these guys were pioneering engine swapping and brake swapping and, you know, suspension swapping. They were figuring out all of the, um, what fits on what, what's the same, and what's different. And you could do this, but that, and this from Japan and whatever. And I felt like I kind of had a place there because I had achieved this engine swap. I had a actual hybrid Honda and I had rewired it and, and it was special. I actually caught uh, Jason Catman. Mm-hmm. He emailed me and he's like, dude, like I put a picture of my engine bay on, on the forum and he messaged me. He's like, what am I looking at here? Like, where's your coil? Like, how did you, and I was like, oh man, like, yeah, I got it all hooked up. And, um, you know, I got to know that group of people through through that car. Um, and then so it just sort of started to build on itself. Like I learned a little bit more. I did a little bit more. And it, I think these were big steps for me. You know, I got a, a car to cut my teeth. I got a car that was a lot more fun. And then I got another one. And I got another one. And I was taking like kind of big steps each time. And the way I kind of work is I... I like to be challenged by something and then figure it out and then move on. Yeah. No, no, I like to dwell in this area, right? I, I did another swap in another a ZC swap in a buddy of mine's car and I did another one and my wife had a little civic at the time. And then it just kind of, I think I kind of got past it a little bit. Well, then life did this hmm. at that time. Um, in my sweet little Honda, we were, going up to an event in Monterey. They had an event that moved around called CR Expo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this year they were going to do it in Monterey. This is 1999, and we were caravanning on the way up there and um, had a pit stop in Bakersfield, and everybody was oogling my car. I just remember I had my hood open, and everybody was like, or many people, maybe it wasn't everybody. Everybody but, was. As far as I'm concerned, I was one of the stars, right? Because because <laughs> I had this cool engine swap, but nobody it. else had that, yeah. right? There's people with a lot of second-generation CRXs that had that kind of thing, too. But second-generation CRX people, they're a different kind of zone of person than the first-generation CRX people. Like, first-generation CRX people kind of get this, I don't want to say animosity, but when you say you have a CRX, my mind goes to that car. Everybody else in the world's mind goes to the one with the window in the back. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a, a thing there among the first gen community that it's like, no, 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 we like this one, you know? Um, so at least any, a lot of those guys were looking at it and we got back on the freeway to head back up to Monterey and I lost control of the car, spun out on interstate five and got plowed by a Camry. Wow. T-bone. 
No way. And they were doing, what do you do out there? 70, 80 miles an hour? Yeah. And I'm in this little fucking tin can. And it messed me up pretty good. It messed me up pretty good. It hit your side? Oh, yeah. Square on the door B-pillar area. I mean, I'm looking at a CRX right now. It is not a big car. Like, yeah. The front bumper of a Camry is the same size as the door. Yeah. And just smashed it. And, um, you know, uh, the friend, my friend was in the car with me. And he got kind of jacked up. But I got really jacked up. I ended up breaking my sacrum. I don't know if you know what that is. No. So your pelvis comes together at that triangle at the bottom of your spine. Yeah. That's your sacrum. Okay. And mine broke like that. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like, so the left side of my lower body was kind of freewheeling at that point. Just, I mean, it just broke it and, and my pelvis got displaced and like that Oof. It was fucked up. And, um, that was really other than some other like superficial cuts and things. That was the only thing that really had happened to me, but it was very traumatic. And I ended up, I was in bed for three months after that. I never had any surgery to repair it. Just let it heal naturally, which was pretty, you know, I think if that would have happened today, they would have screwed me together, but they let me heal. It was a pretty excruciating time, but, um, that happened. And, uh, I recovered from it and to get kind of back on my feet again, like, I had already kind of started going back to school a little bit. All these layers, right? I I was already trying to go back to school. It wasn't long after that that I had the accident. I recovered. It's like shit. (laughs) What really happened at that time is I built that car with the engine and the brakes and the computer system and everything that I put into it on uh, this line of credit that for some reason the bank gave me. And I was came out of that accident with a big pile of debt and nothing to show for it. And I just felt really, really low. Uh, and to feel really crazy low like that at like 21, 22 years old, like, I don't know, it changed me for the whole rest of my life. I became a lot more financially conservative. You know, I got a job... Um, at Magnaflow, mm-hmm. actually, they Magnaflow's building was like two blocks from my house, and I didn't even know it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting that job at Magnaflow helped because I was able to earn some money and um, you know pay back a lot of that debt. I got some help from my folks paying it back, and kind of got a little bit of a restart. Yeah, and um, that's kind of where the the business part of it comes in. Um. Now, before I, we get to the business, yeah. I just wanted to touch on something that you were going over. Um, what year was it when you had the accident? 99. Okay. August. So, so around 99, you're on the uh, hybrids page. Uh, yeah. You've mentioned Catman. You've mentioned uh, Hasport, Brian from Hasport. Yeah. Who else were some of the um, the names that we would know to this day that were out oh, okay. at that time? JDM Wong. You just had him on. Uh-huh. Ryan Hegner, VTech Voodoo. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to go through the roll call in my mind, and sometimes it's hard to remember everybody. There's this other guy named Eric Wong who didn't end up being an industry guy, but we were friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Kay. A lot of people don't know who Sean is, but... The photographer. No. 
Hmm. No, he uh, he ended up taking over the board when it changed names. Okay. So it was uh, uh, Joe R. and Adrian Tio. It was their board, and then some drama bullshit happened. Okay. And then it became split, mm-hmm. and then the one went away. And then the new one became hybrids.jp. Okay. And Sean Kasperowitz, he headed that up. Now, a lot of people know him. Like, you know, all these people know him because he was kind of like the main hybrid guy from then on. John Thali. Do you know who John Thali the no. third? He was a magazine photographer, or a car photographer. He had features in Sport Compact and Super Street. And, you know, he's freelance. But, mm-hmm. you know, John Thali is, a lot of people know who he is. Um, you know, for, I guess, from then, from that area. I, I don't, he's a teacher now. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, you know, these people mean a lot to me, and they, they were something in the automotive industry through a certain point in time, but not everybody kind of percolated up out of it. Um, Rywire was there. Um, Mikey G Tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was in there a little bit later on. And then there was uh, uh, Sean De La Cruz, and I don't know. There, there, there were bunches of people. Got you, uh, that, got you. Yeah, and uh, but it changed after a little while. It ended up becoming um, uh, people went more towards like NWP. Yeah, and a lot of the NW like the big NWP guys. A lot of them were on hybrid too, um, but then it just you know took on a whole new thing when it went to NWP. Gotcha. So the hybrid board got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it, it really, it started out as, and it ended up as just sort of like a core group of internet friends, you know, uh, Merritt Johnson, do you know who Merritt is? Mm-hmm. No, she's married to Sean now who runs top rank imports. Okay. Do you know who that they bring in JDM cars. Yeah, actually I think one of my buddies got a NSX from him a couple of years ago. Yeah, so like Merritt Johnson's married to Sean, or okay. she's Merritt Merritt Morris now. But um, it's just there's there's little crumbs of those people all kind of throughout. You know, Super Twins. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah John yeah. Wynn. Yeah. yeah, he was he was in there too. Um, Got you. It, yeah, it I, really helps me out to um, kind of get this era and what's going on in it because I'm hearing it from you know from Brian from uh from Hegner and from Rywire as well so it kind of helps yeah. me put everything together to see what timeline that you were on at this time and relative to them because I didn't get in till I didn't sign up for NWP until 2007 and that's just because Raul from Checkered Sports was on it so I was like oh let me just sign up so yeah. anything that happened pre-2007 I'm just getting secondhand information on it so I'm just trying to paint a picture of what was going on at that time I think the important thing to take away from the whole thing is that that board was the first place that was like a public board there was a there was a private chat like before message board technology. I mean, you have to put yourself in what the internet was at the time. Yeah. You know, a lot of us were just a lot of people were on dial up. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't if you had cable or satellite, that was like a kind of a privilege. And um and that we we always had good internet. My dad is an internet geek, so yeah. <laughs> my, my stepdad I should say. That was the other side of of how I cut to be we always had early access to computers 
he was a computer geek. So yeah. like I had a ready ability to get on the internet and manipulate a computer more than most of my friends, mm-hmm. right? But at the time, not everybody was online doing this stuff. It was still very heavy and how do you do stuff but it's through a magazine like or you have to be self-taught. People didn't know how to do stuff. There weren't resources available to learn how to wire up your VTech. Well, just put in the other computer, repin it and run the wires mm-hmm. like that's Seems pretty simple to us now, but people didn't think like that back then because it was all pretty new. Mm-hmm. Um, but these people were kind of the people that were not, they were the ones that became the owners of all the knowledge because they were able to collaborate about it. And it was a limited space. And a lot of people were just on there having fun too. There were definitely people on there that were just having fun. Um, uh, but the people that were doing more than that, like it became a really good, strong knowledge base. And these people that were there were just sort of early enough in it that they end up being in larger, more far reaching parts of the industry Mm -hmm. like Jonathan and the super street thing. I think that was, that was, I heard his story and it was just as much about him just kind of being in, in the right zone at the right time. It didn't really have anything to do with him being on hybrid. Yeah. That was just a different thing that he was doing. But because it was so early on, I think that's why uh, people landed up in a farther space. I heard Brian's story. We had hung out at SEMA a couple of years ago and I got his story firsthand. And I was like, tennis? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know you. I didn't know you were a tennis instructor. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh yeah, man, I should have been a tennis instructor in the '80s. That would have been the thing to do. Yeah. But then it went wild. Tennis got crazy, and I missed the boat. Yeah. Like, but then when he saw the Honda thing building, like he recognized that this was going to be a big thing, so he got in and became an expert early on. Well, you know, he brought a lot to the table when it came to information about swapping and whatnot. Um, Ryan Hegner, I mean, I can't think of a, a more natural thing for him to be doing than doing meets mm-hmm. because that's all what he's done. Like I have a velocity magazine over here somewhere, which I just, I went through this stuff recently to organize it uh-huh. and I pulled out this velocity magazine cause that, that was the magazine of the Honda Acura club and he was affiliated with them. Like he was part of the uh honda acura club and i looked up Mm. in the uh in the magazine and the editorial section like who the editors are and he's like event coordinator i'm like no way yeah yeah (laughs) i'm like well yeah of course he was and like a lot of the early hybrid meets he organized them you know they did a meet at uh, normary's cerritos before that was a thing like he got us all met up down there um you know he he had that red eg at the time and that was his deal, right? And but it was neat because somebody was organizing meets, and we would go to them. Do you know um, uh, that that Red EG's mine? Yeah, yeah, I heard. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. So wild, bro. I remember when I saw it, I was like, "Oh man, it's got a cage!" And it's like, "Damn, this car is sick." Like Ryan always seemed like uh, kind of a step ahead. Yeah, which was pretty cool. But you know, I'm. I mean, I ran into him at the dealership that I worked at. They, it was like the year 2000, 2001. The S2000 just came out. CT Engineer or Comtech at the time made a supercharger kit. 
And for Velocity Magazine, they were doing an install of the supercharger on the car, and they did it at my dealership. Wow. So, like, you know, Ryan was there, and I don't know what he was doing. I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah. But, and, and he was driving that car around for a while, too, the one that they did this test on. I can't remember what year that was, but it was it was a couple years after. But um, he's been in, you know, Honda industry since way, way back then. You know, I mean, hybrid meets were probably practice for whatever he did after that. You know, he just, I think he's just driven to do that kind of thing. Yeah. But again, it didn't have anything to do with the board. He was just a Honda guy. Yeah. You know? So it was just like uh, a meeting ground for Honda dudes to come yeah, hang Brian out with. Yeah, Brian was building race cars. Like they, they had a, they had a, they had a wrecking yard. Yeah, and he, they would, they would help with people's race cars because people were racing Hondas back then. Yeah, and they were experts. Dude, that's crazy, man! Shout out to uh, Hegner, man. That's like, I consider him as one of my OGs, man. He's somebody that I would like to be like in the future. You know, not yeah. only not only just what he does for the community, but just him as a, a father and a husband and, mm-hmm. you know, just just a person overall. There's not many people that I would say that about, but him, he uh, he's really somebody that I look up to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The same. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I feel like I got my fathering husbanding down pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. But at least as as far as. You know, I think the guy has just got a really good business ability. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of respect for a lot of those folks. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, and I think, you know, bridging into something else that I was thinking about over time was that it became NWP where a lot of the people went, and I never really went to NWP. You know, I, I started my business in this time frame mm-hmm. 2002 mm-hmm. is when i kind of started and i was trying to sell stuff i mean i i tried to sell a couple of things on hybrid and it didn't work it, it's like when you sign up for the multi-level marketing mm-hmm. and you try to sell like face cream to your friends yeah they all think you're like come on what are you, i'm not gonna buy your shit right <laughs> and it didn't work and i thought well okay i need to be on honda tech then you know, they're, they're actually set up for this. They have a marketplace for it, whatever. So I started slinging parts on Honda Tech, and that was working out really pretty good. And I kind of felt like that was where it was at hmm. in terms of selling parts. And I tried a little bit on NWP, but it didn't really work out for me in the same way. And I didn't adjust to it. So I had an NWP account. I probably don't even have 200 posts on there because wow. it just never really got involved with it i spent a lot of time on honda tech and then i switched over to acurazine after that gotcha when i switched from hondas to like acuras and you know looking back i should have probably spent more time on nwp because that's where you come in and raul and you know you know the, the joey comes up from there and like uh, and I'd already known Andy Kimball and Andy Freeman mm-hmm. that started it. Mm-hmm. They were they were on hybrid board. Yeah. So like NWP was the pizza place. It wasn't. And then they started this board. And to me, it was like some new thing that they were doing. Yeah. You know, I, d- I didn't really understand what it 
what it was about. It seemed kind of silly to me. Got like, you. Like I don't, I don't really get it. I and then I would go and okay, there's uh, car community stuff going on here, but I never took the time to connect with it. Mm. And I think now when I look back on that, and we see like, well, you know, somebody like Ryan has always been there. Somebody like Jonathan's always been there. Well, heel toes kind of already always been there, but I kind of feel like I'm I'm you know, behind a curtain somewhere. Yeah. You know, like I think a lot of people know the company and they maybe know who I am, but they don't necessarily identify with me as a public figure. Got you. I, I, I I can totally see that. Um, because the way that I would look at, um, Honda tech would be a universal forum area for people all around the world to gather. But NWP was more of a SoCal kind of thing. So to me, it felt more of a community that I wanted to be part of because I can go to Nisei or, um, you know, Eibach Meet or Weekfest or something like that and see the big names on the on the forum in person rather than, you know, go to Honda Tech and you have somebody yeah. checking in from Sweden or something like that, which is awesome. And as a business point, I would want that pie instead of, you know, this little group of, of SoCal people. Yeah. But me being an enthusiast, of course, I want to be in, in that because that's the more realistic um area to be in instead of something that is available to the entire world which yeah. which nwp was you didn't have to be geographically located in socal to be on there but it just it just so happened that the movers and the shakers on that forum were you know within an hour or two from me yeah everything's going to be in socal anyway the car yeah the car <laughs> event season is like all year long and that's where all the parts are. That's where all the parts are. That's where all the people are. The cars are always out. And uh, people are more daring with their cars in California than they are in other places. I mean, I think that's not to sell nationwide people short on building cars because they obviously come up with their own thing. But um, And not everybody on hybrid, it wasn't a regional thing. People were all over the country because this is like the internet doing its job, allowing people to connect. Yeah. Like I mentioned Merritt before, they were from Virginia mm -hmm. um, or something. I think it was Virginia. And then there was like a group of people out there and there was a group of people in Texas. Yeah. You know, Locash Racing, like mm -hmm. Joe Locash was was on there. They're Phoenix, mm -hmm. you know. And um, when it went to uh, NWP, I was already kind of running my business at that point and I didn't, I didn't have customers there. Mm -hmm. Like for me, once I started the business, it became all about that. Like that's my thing. The car, yes, I, I know how to change spark plugs. Yes, I know how to swap an engine. Yes, I know how to swap a cylinder head. I could put a turbo kit on. I kind of explored the car thing as much as I really wanted to mm -hmm. at that point. Got you, got you, um, got you. I never even had a B-series engine. Really? Like I was kind of over it already. Yeah. Like there was B-series and it's like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's just a little different, right? And then K-Series came along, and it was like, well, this is totally foreign to me. Like, the first K-Series I had is in my TSX. Yeah. Like, I, I, never, I never got into that, right? Because it stopped being about being enthusiastic about the cars, and it started becoming about how do I run a business? Gotcha. Well, this is actually a lot more broad and a lot more deep 
and there's a lot of moving pieces to getting this right. And well, this is like your life and your livelihood. And it's, there's a more emotion involved for me because you're dealing with other people and you're trying to get something right. Like it's, it's easy to get an engine running right, but to get a business running right, it's like this whole other animal. And so when I didn't really see much business opportunity for me on NWP, I didn't really get involved. Gotcha. You know, and you know, maybe shame on me. I, I don't, I don't know, but, um, Honda tech was, was where the money was coming from. And I was trying to, I wasn't trying to build a business per se. I was just trying to practice business. Gotcha. So to speak. And then that got a little tiring. I ended up on Accurazine instead. That all was catalyzed by uh, Honda wisely importing the first generation TSX over to America as the T, you know, as the TSX and Accord to, mm-hmm. as a TSX. Amazing car. I think one of the best that Honda's ever made. But it got me into Acura more, mm. and then I found a whole other crop of people who needed some of that fundamental knowledge. They weren't. Um, they weren't experienced with Honda Acura. They weren't experienced with the modding. You know, the cars were very new. Mm-hmm. You figure like 2004, 2005, these cars are brand new. Mm-hmm. If people want to fix them up, but they don't want to ruin them. They want to do it right. People were willing to spend more money, so there wasn't as much price competition. I mean, I had one or two serious competitors from 2006 to like 2012. And it became very easy to do business there and, it, and very enjoyable, gotcha. right? But all the whole while, this NWP thing's going on and all my friends are making new connections and new people are coming up and and I lost it a little bit. Yeah. So now, you know, I say like, well, I, I kind of want to get back and do some more of this Civic Integra stuff. Oh, the 10th generation Civic come out. That looks like a really great car. Let's support that. Nobody knows who Heel Toe is. Yeah. Because I never got involved with 9th Gen Civic because I never got involved with 8th Gen Civic because the 7th Gen Civic was a turd. <laughs> and I just was into Acuras in the mid-2000s, not yeah. Hondas. So, so, so if I could um, change anything, I'd spend more time on NWP and get more Civic stuff going on. I mean, that's all I knew. You know, I'm not saying one was was better than the other. There was just that was what I was exposed to at the beginning, and um, it did seem like we came at the right time. We offered the same thing, the the product at the right time, and that's where yeah. we we thrived at. But who knows if we would have started off in Honda Tech? Maybe we would have grown faster because it would be more people around. So you never know. You know, maybe the the spot that you ended up is is what that the TLTSX community needed. They needed somebody like you to just focus on those needs. Oh, I think when, they did. When everybody else is chasing the uh, EGDC EK, you know, Integra models, which were you know saturated, you jumped into something that was a little more unknown and yeah. became a staple in that community. I think that the type of way that I do business resonated well with those customers yeah i think that's really what the bottom line and i don't think it was a mistake moving to accurazine at all i it was amazing i just think i i would have been good to keep my eye on this other community yeah especially since on nwp there was i had more friends there yeah like i should have been more friendly with these people (laughs) right like instead you know jonathan and i know each other you know we ran into each other at a club at sema um just last SEMA. Uh-huh. I was leaving. He was coming. Hey, Marcus, what's going on? Hey, what's going 
but I don't have, he doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't have anything to do with him. You know, well, I mean, I I guess it's not completely true. He did shoot my car one time. I did, I did have a a time in super street. Really? Yeah. That was 2003. So that was still kind of earlier. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but anyhow, I think it would have been good to keep an eye on that and stay engaged with some of those folks, you know? I mean, it's still not too late. You know, the, no, of course the machine, not. Well, the machine is still well, in going. Well, that it is because it's not forums anymore. Now it's, uh, now it's Facebook. Yeah. You know, and even that, and then Facebook is such a fucking turd for car. It's terrible. Like it's good for people, I think, but for car people, I think there's just too many, there's too many, um, there's too much freedom. <laughs> Let's too that's, easy. that's something there's not too much freedom it's too easy that's something it's, definitely that i really want to dig into since you've seen the the rise of social media from you know the forum standpoint oh, yeah. to where it is now but i want to get to the point where um you first decided that it would be something that you want to do to open a business so i was you know super quick recap mm-hmm. car accident um, I had a contact at Magnaflow, started working at Magnaflow, and Magnaflow at the time was very, it's a much smaller company, right? They, um, it's not the company that it is today, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're a monster now. It was a family business back then, Italian owned, <laughs> you know, like, it's still family owned, but it's gigantic. Definitely. And I was working for them in their sales group and they opened up a new tech center, which was where they were going to be doing, um, uh, testing like catalytic converter testing. Gotcha. The parent company in Magnaflow is called car sound. Car sound is a catalytic converter brand. I think they got rid of the car sound name a bunch of years ago. Um, uh, it became Magnaflow. Magnaflow was the muffler line. Car sound was the catalytic converters. And they uh, they needed to do testing for the EPA, and uh, so they opened up this new tech center, and that's where they were going to prototype catback exhaust systems. They were going to you know build all their tooling fixtures and all this. And I was there when they opened that thing, which was cool. Mm. I was there. Um, they had a guy managing the building, and I worked under that guy. And then another guy worked next to me, who was um, the testing dude. He ran the dyno. He was my age, mm-hmm. kid, you know. That guy ran the dyno and ran the tests. Uh, and then there was a welder out there who would do, well, there was like this gigantic building and like four or five people working there. And I was in charge of getting the test cars. So like, oh, we, a new Mustang. I, I locate the Mustang, schedule them and work. Working in that environment for a little while, I think I really started to enjoy the, the, and the sort of engineering development side and uh, a consultant that worked at Magnaflow at the time recognized that I was having some strengths. And he said, hey, you know, you should get this degree. Like, you can get it over there at Long Beach. Uh-huh. Like, you should go to school. Get a degree. Like, in engineering. But industrial engineering. Oh, okay, great. So, I decided that's what I'm going to do. And I decided that I was going to do it full time, which meant I couldn't work anymore. And I, I left Magnaflow. And they were, I think they were sad to see me go. They tried to get me to stay. And I, in retrospect, it would have been a good thing to say, to stay. Mm-hmm. But what happened might not have happened, which is I ended up getting a different kind of job working at a dealership again. 
on a more flexible schedule. Same dealership I worked at before, actually, Westlow Honda. Okay. And um, through working the counter there, I became introduced to some parts supplier that was bringing in parts from overseas, um, genuine parts. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, he could actually get JDM parts too. This was when the JDM stuff was just like hot, mm-hmm. right? Civic Type R N1 crank pulley, Civic Type R headlights, the side markers with the sockets, oh, shit. you know, one piece DA headlights. <laughs> like, fuck, like, you can get all that stuff? Like, that's magical. Nobody knows where to get that stuff from. Like, only the FF squad had that shit, right? Like, <laughs> and there was a couple of places where you could buy some of these things. JHP was getting some things imported, but it was like a lot of used stuff, some new stuff. They were working with pit crew, I think, back then. Gotcha. I think. And, um, oh, okay, I can order some stuff and get it in. Well, let's do it. I got a loan from my mother-in-law. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thousand bucks. <laughs> Three. I think it was like I had to give him a deposit, and then I had to pay the rest. It was like a total of a $3,000 loan. Uh-huh. And... um. I ordered the parts, and they came in, and I sold them on Honda Tech. Got you. And then I, I paid back the loan, and it was like, well, shit, let's keep doing this. Well, the problem was that the uh, – and th- this was really fueling my own car habit. You know, I turboed my CRX that I had at the time, and, like, I want, I, I have a car habit. So I, I – this was helping fund that. Yeah. Right? And I was going to get this degree. Like, I'm going to school. Right? Like – I'm whoring myself out as a salesman of these parts as a means to an end. Gotcha. And, but I was having fun with it, of course, right? Because uh, geeking out on the chassis codes and actually finding the part numbers. Because this guy couldn't get me any part numbers. He could order whatever part number I gave him, but he couldn't give me any part numbers. Well, you can't just roll down the street and get a JDM Honda parts catalog. You know, mm-hmm. Um I don't think, and I think a lot of people didn't really realize that early on in the JDM Honda parts game, it wasn't about bringing the parts in. That's only half of it. The other half is, what do I order? Mm. Like, what do I order? What's the part number? Mm. That stuff was not easy to find. Um, so, you know, I ended up having my own kind of collection of, of part numbers that I could order and get the parts in. And... The problem that I was having was is that those JDM shipments were really, really slow. So I could order some parts, but they might not show up for three, four, five, six months later. Wow. You can't run a business like that. <laughs> so I started in 2002, and I think I sold like four things that first year because I didn't have them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have the things, right? So I didn't really start working until 2003 when the parts started coming. <laughs> And then I could sell more of them, and it, and then I'd keep orders going in and get it and sell it. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I did, I didn't have a whole lot of discipline that back back then. I didn't have tons of money to work with, but I was making it work. It was like going along. I just couldn't really wait for these really long shipments to come in. So that's when I start selling. There was a clutch supplier in, in Orange that I was dealing with, Fullerton, I think it was clutch specialties and then i started selling aluminum flywheels and then i uh oh like these guys over here they could get the cusco stuff and over here like i I had an account with dynamic autosport i told Mm -hmm. you dynamic uh they were really big at the time 
and we bought a lot of stuff from Dynamic. Um, and uh, that allowed me to sell more stuff while I was waiting for the real money to come in. Gotcha. The JDM, right? Um, that was all working out really pretty good. Uh, and I never really fully committed to, like, this is my job. Because I worked at the Honda dealer, and then I left to another dealer. And then I quit that. At a certain point, it just got too stressful to work on my degree while I was uh, having this job in the business. It was just all too much. And our expenses were low. My wife said, just quit your job. You're, you make enough money selling the parts. Mm-hmm. Just do that and finish the fucking degree. That's mm-hmm. probably what she said. Yeah. Um, and finally, like, I did end up graduating and... Uh, you know, just ran the business the whole time, growing a little bit each time. Never put a lot of pressure on it. Never had a real big plan. You know, accounting was as simple as, well, I bought it for this and I sold it for that, so I'm good, <laughs> right? And um, my wife was helped me out with some of the accounting, and she's like, "How are you making any money?" Like, I don't know. I just am. Like, <laughs> they want it. I get it. And I mark it up, and and then I make the money, right? That's that just works, right? So <laughs> I graduated from from college in uh, 2007 with the industrial engineering degree, manufacturing focus. Yeah. And where the fuck did I end up back at Magnaflow again? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I just sort of randomly sent them my resume, or I saw that they. We're hiring for a sales engineer. Okay. Somebody who's supposed to be a salesman, but from a technical end. And I thought, hey, I could probably do that. I've been selling stuff, and I got an engineering degree. Let's try it. Well, they ended up hiring me for a different job, which was a process engineer. Um, and that I really liked. Uh, a process engineer, if you're not aware, is somebody who basically looks at how something is, is going and make adjustments to make it go better. In a manufacturing environment, this would be like finding a bottleneck, finding something that's slowed down. Gotcha. You know, well, gee, you know, the person keeps having to grab over here to drill. Why don't we put the drill over here? I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that. But you can make really big changes in manufacturing flow and process change is a very important part of uh, producing stuff. So I really, really connected with process engineering. Um, They had me monitoring their robotic welding cells. Mm Mm-hmm. So they take a tool and put all the pieces in it, and the robot comes and welds the whole thing. And they were finding that, you know, there was maybe too much work needed by the operator to have to go touch things up afterward, or maybe it was going too slow. They, that was my job while I was there, was to monitor the, the manufacturing of these welding cells with the robot to see how we can make them work better. Mm. It came up with a bunch of ideas, but... Um, they ended up restructuring a little bit and I got laid off from that. And this is when, this is one of the turning points when I got laid off from doing that. And I was still running my business, you know, in the evenings and stuff. It wasn't that busy, but it was money. I wasn't going to turn it away. Um, I was trying to find another job after that. Now it was 2007. They laid me off. Then 2008 economy Mm -hmm. took a shit like, Big time. And I remember like 
listening intently to the to the news, driving around, picking up, dropping off parts, and just I was trying to get another job, and there was just nobody was giving me one, and it's like this is a shit situation. Well, I had heard that one of my friends had gotten a job recently by really just driving around to a lot of the different businesses in the area in uh, Irvine. There's a ton of businesses, right? Irvine, Lake Forest, a lot of industry. Yeah. He drove around and wrote down lists of all the company names that he saw, went back to their websites later on and just sort of trolled them a little bit, sent him resumes, walked him into certain places and ultimately ended up getting a job. He had pounded the pavement for a job and it worked. So, I'm like, was all defeated. I went to this hiring fair and they turned me around immediately. Mm. Like, oh, you don't have any aerospace? I said, well, no, but I I went to an aerospace type school. They were like, no, we need somebody with aerospace. And I was like, man, you got 300 people lined up out here in suits and you're just turn me around like, like I'm nothing. Yeah. And I thought, well, I know I'm not nothing. This is bullshit. Like, it broke me down, right? And on my way home, I went and I did the thing where I wrote down all the businesses' names and I got like a, a page and a half of businesses' names and I thought, you know what, man, this is such a fucking waste of time. Like all of these companies were started by a dude or a lady, a person, yeah. right, who had something and they built it. Well, I got something. Yeah. All right. Like, I'm not answering emails right now, people that want to give me money because I'm out here trying to get a job. And it, it became absurd to me that I was even trying to get a job. So I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know, I'm not going to get another job. Yeah. And it was not, it was not a happy moment. My wife is really conservative. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean you're not getting a job? Like you spent all this time getting a fucking degree. I was not getting a degree during that time. Like, you know, yeah. having a baby, had a baby that time. Like, it's like, what do you mean you're not getting a job, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, look it. I can't make somebody give me a job. If one comes up, I'll take it. But like right, right now I got to do this. Yeah. This is what we got. This is money. Like we can make more money if we do this. Okay, great. Fine. Um, and that is where some more of that commitment came from. And we grew. The business grew and, uh, and became more successful out of that. So it's just been kind of a train along that. I still hadn't at that time fully committed to being self-employed for life. Mm-hmm. That, that happened sometime. At, that happened a little while after that. I ended up getting another job working for, this is a little bit off the wall, mm -hmm. a guy that I went to uh, college with, he ended up getting a job at this weird Canadian-based company that sells natural gas engines for heavy-duty trucking. You know, we were in this industrial program, so we're going to be getting these industrial-type jobs. Mm -hmm. And he uh, ended up needing somebody as a field service engineer, somebody who could go to the different dealerships, Kenworth, Peterbilt, whatever dealerships where they had trucks that needed extra technical support that the local technicians couldn't really figure it all out. 
because uh, it's kind of a weird system. I mean, to make a truck run on natural gas, there's a lot of bullshit involved. Um, and so, and some of it was kind of exotic because it's from Canada, which is almost like Europe. Yeah. You know, compared to America. Yeah. And, you know, we, we would help them diagnose problems that they were having. So I had, you know, a good solid year, year and a half experience helping diagnose natural gas truck problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't exactly my forte. I wasn't great at it, but I certainly could do it. And I think it added a lot to, you know, me as a person and what I could bring to the table as any kind of a service or parts representative. And then, uh, the plan was really, we were going to sell our house and move up to Portland here. And then that job came walking along. He just gave it to me. Basically, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want a job right now. My business is doing pretty good. And you know, but then we were like, yeah, we kind of want to move and it would be nice to have some extra money before we go. We had like a three-year plan to move, but then we turned it into a five-year plan so that I could get some more money in the meantime, make it a little easier. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I took that job and, um, I think it was like three years in, it was like, you know what? We want to move. I'm, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. So I actually had quit that job. And because they didn't have a, a job up in Portland here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just left with the assumption that I wasn't going to be getting another job. And then they come around at the 11th hour and said, hey, we came up with a remote position that you could do warranty engineering. I'm like, warranty engineer? What's a warranty engineer? Yeah. Like, well, it's like, it's when you're an engineer, but you're doing warranty stuff. Yeah. But really what it came down to was um, reviewing warranty claims that the dealership was generating on failures from the trucks. Uh So the warranty administration team could handle the paperwork, but they didn't always know all the technical mumbo jumbo that was coming through on the repair orders. They needed somebody to interpret that and help guide the warranty process. This is legit. This seems like bullshit. Did they do this test? Did they not do that thing? So I got a job administering that, all 100% computer, and I got to do it remotely Mm -hmm. up in my home office here in my house. Well, that was pretty sweet. And I actually learned a lot about um, managing, um, well, how warranties work, to be honest, and warranty coverages. And um, But then that company ended up really kind of on the long, slow decline. They just... They made, I think they made some wrong moves and they're still around, yeah. but it's a, it's a, a, a pebble of what it used to be. And they ended up laying me off. And then again, I'm like, well, I'm not going to get another job. Yeah. So, know. so was it just circumstance that you decided just to go full force with a uh, heel toe? It's always been there. Mm. I mean, for all that whole time, it was always there. I, I had the Magnaflow job. Yeah. I was going to back out of heel toe in 2007 because mm. I didn't need it. I had a good job. My wife wasn't really working at the time. Yeah, well, you do it. Like, I'll just support you. It's an extra, you know, what, 20, 30K a year, whatever it was. It was not a lot of money, but it was like extra money. Keep her busy. Let's do that. And I mean, I sold my CRX. I had a bitch in CRX and I sold it, got an M3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had an E36 M3. Nice. Love that thing. You know, you know, and you know this. You drive a BMW now. People look at you a little differently. 
<laughs> like a douchebag. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because you don't have a you don't have a classy one. You no, really like a more classy one. No, mine yeah, is 30. mine is super uh, super douchebaggy with the popcorn exhaust oh, and the big lo- big logo and yeah yeah. Anyhow, yeah, they. Uh, um, <clears throat> I, I I was all like, I'm getting out of the Honda thing. I don't really care anymore. Yeah. Right? Like, I that's not a hundred percent true. I I always love. I always will love Hondas. My parents always had them, and I think that they're great. But I was trying something new. I was trying to be a pro, you know. I was trying to be like, you know, I'm a corporate guy now. Yeah. Let's buy a BMW and see how that goes. Yeah, I wasn't there seven months, and they let me go. Mm. And then it was like all came crashing down. And like, okay, well, the the get a degree, get a job plan is just not going to work out. And now when I look at it now. I was never going to work anyway. I rubbed them I rubbed them weird and they rubbed me weird because I have uh, a way that I like to do things. Mm-hmm. You know, my whole once I came on this process engineering thing, my whole thing is about just making things better. You know, make adjustments, make changes. And um you know, big company doesn't make changes very quickly or easily, you know, and and the old guard doesn't want to make things different sometimes. And can't say that there was a lot of that there but i think that there was definitely some like marcus just go back to your desk and type some shit up or something you you know and i just i can't really handle that the job at westport um westport was the name of the truck company was a lot more flexible i could manage my own time i didn't even have to go to the office most of the time um and then when i wanted to leave and I had a remote job, it's like one computer, one computer, you know, and I could just do that. And even that got to be a little rough because it's like, all right, you know what? The Westport thing is good. The benefits are great. I'm really only here for medical benefits now. And that went away. It's like, just do this one. And that's been working out really pretty good because, and when I got the job at Westport, I I'd always had some bullshit line up till then. Like, oh, I've been running my business for a while. Oh, what happens to your business when you get a job here, you know, Mr. DiSabella? And like, well, I'm going to phase it out or my wife can do it. So it kind of runs itself. And I got people and that's all bullshit. I had to do all the work, yeah. right? Well, when Westport was going to hire me, they said, well, what's going to happen with your business? And I said, well, honestly, I'm going to keep running it. You know, it it generates good money and... I enjoy doing it and I've got it pretty well ironed out. Like I can promise you that it will never be a problem. Yeah. Like you'll never have a problem of overlap. You won't even know that I do it. And they said, okay, good for us. And I said, wow, that worked out. That whole honesty thing worked out really good, you know? Yeah. But, uh, and I, and I said, I just can't really, I can't let it go. Cause it's always been there for me, you know, like I've kept it up and it's been there for me multiple times and um you know it was there when i needed to go to school it was there when i got laid off well when you when westport comes and goes it'll be there still so and that's exactly what happened so when you decided to start showing the business more attention um did you notice uh exponential growth no i've never had exponential growth but that is when we we rebranded because once the commitment came like, okay, well, I'm really not going to look for another job. And like, we can carry this through. We can do a lot better than we can. Um, heel toe is 
a, a known name mm-hmm. in the industry, but we're not a what I consider to be a big name. Mm-hmm. Even a lot of people that I already do business with don't come to me for lots of things because they don't know that we carry it or whatever. I've never marketed well. I've never really treated it like it was like a serious like business that had capital behind it, that needed a plan, that needed um, some place to go. So it's always been a slow incremental growth. But part of the reason why that's been around for so long is because we never got this big influx of business that couldn't be managed. Like if I had, as you put it, an exponential growth, I wouldn't know what to do. Mm. I'd need to hire probably four people right away. And the way I operate, like it's hard for me to hire one person because I take it very personally how all the things are handled, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but what did happen was a focus and a, a, an ability to define who who is heel-toe, right? And that's where the in-your-corner thing came from. Before that, it was just sort of like cheeky, fun, I'm here, I can help you, you know, always about service, you know, I was trying to do a good job, but it wasn't like a serious go at it. Mm-hmm. Um, once that commitment came, then it was like, okay, well, who are we? Like, we need to define ourselves. We need to put ourselves in front of people in a way that's going to help them understand who we are right when they see us, like the, from the first time they contact us, that they'll know. And I think what it does is it gives me a good platform to stand on to now grow from from there or even here, mm-hmm. you know. And here it is, 18 years going, and I'm reinventing things even now. Yeah, you know? it's a. I look at that as um, a, a huge positive. You know, sometimes... I would go to these shows. Uh, we usually do maybe 10 plus shows a year throughout the country. And uh, sometimes I would go to a show and most of the cars would have Downstar. You know, and for one side of me is like, yeah, that's awesome. But the other side of me is completely scared over that. Are Have we got to the pinnacle? And after this, we're going to turn into the brand where, oh, you have Downstar. That's not cool anymore. You know, so then, then we'll go to another event. None of the cars would have our stuff on there. And to a business person or to a regular person, that's like, oh, you're, you're failing. But to me, to me, I'm just like, this is nothing but opportunity here. All of these cars are just opportunity, just waiting. So in my head, like you said, you think that everybody knows who Heeltoe is in my head. I'm Everybody that's in Hondas has to know who Downstar is. But then you get that reality. And that not being a cocky thing or even a positive thing. Because if everybody knows who we are, and me, I know where we are at in business-wise, I will start to think like, oh, man, we're kind of getting towards where we're going to stay at, where we're going to plateau, or maybe the downfall. But when you go somewhere and you don't see a lot of uh, Downstar stickers, product, talk anything like that to me it makes me think wow this is a new avenue that maybe i haven't been feeding this any attention and now we have room for growth that means that we haven't hit the pinnacle and we still have the possibility 
to keep growing. So with with the growth of um you know the 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 community of you know TLs, TCs and or uh, TLs uh TSX, TC, even TCs, you could jump into that market. But, you know, now uh, me going to the East Coast so many times, I noticed that they're not building old Hondas anymore. They're building 9th gen, 10th gen, you know, the Type R's where I feel that that would be more towards your lane since you're already used to working with the newer chassis and not the old stuff like we focus on. And there's there's so much opportunity everywhere. Well, you know, yeah, man, you said a lot of good stuff right there. You know, and, and some of it, some of it hits home. Like when you go and you don't see your product or your stickers or whatever. And that's been something that I've had a hard time with because you go to a show, how many heel toe stickers do you see? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, fucking zero. And you know, a good part of that is because I don't ever make them. Yeah. Like I just only started making stickers like five years ago. Like I'd never really had stickers. Yeah. So you know, you have to sometimes look internally and say, well, well, why don't you see it? Right. Um, but then, you know, yeah. Okay. So you got these other cars that I, and I do have a lot of customers on the East coast too. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. The TLs are huge in the Northeast. They're crazy huge. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth gen TL cars that, you know, you think don't really get modified. Oh, you see them every once in a while, but Plenty of people buy stuff for those cars. The thing is, is that for every person that's fixing up a TSX, there's like 30 of them doing a Civic. Yeah. So I only need to get one Civic guy out of the 30 and I can double my business potential, you know, in, in a certain frame set or mindset. Yeah. Um, but I can't not sell to the older cars. And like Fastline Performance is a perfect example. Okay. So Fastline Performance is our brand. Um, the sh racing shifters and stuff. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? The fast line shifter? I'm not sure if I've... The I've, legendary fast line shifter, you don't know? I never even got a, a, a quick shift or anything. Yeah. Well, so, I, from Hybrid. Okay. Uh, one of the guys on there named Greg, and I don't remember what his screen name was, but he started fast line performance in 2001. And he developed these little weld-in uh, oil pan baffles for B-series oil pans, and he developed an aluminum skid plate for ITR 4-to-1 headers. Because those are people buying ITR 4-to-1 headers all day long. Okay. Um, but they hang low, right? And so he made a skid plate for them, and then he made this shifter, um, which is like a tall style shifter with a big counterweight in the middle. And he kind of got over his business and started working on Volvo stuff. And didn't want to do Fastline anymore, so I took it over. Mm -hmm. I took over that brand in 2003, I think it was. Like, not too long after he started doing the shifter. Um, and that's been our brand since then. Well, the shifter works with B and D series cars, Civics and Integras. Mm -hmm. Period. Like, that is the market for Fastline performance. And... Um, a lot of people like that shifter. It's gotten a good name over the years. I have done a very bad job, like, marketing mm -hmm. <laughs> again. So it's sort of an underground item, right? When I started selling them to uh, JHP, okay. then it became kind of researched again. Because um, JHP can put a Civic Integra part on their website, and it's gone. 
you know. Uh, and so I started selling them to Chang, and then he started buying them some more. And uh, we were kind of resting on that for a little while. Uh, and then K-Tuned came out with their BD shifter. And then Hybrid Racing came out with their BD shifter. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, shit, now I got some competition in this market mm-hmm. that I thought that I kind of had performance shifters kind of locked up. Nobody really did B and D series shifters. And that Hybrid Racing one came out was like, oh, shit, these guys just they just flipped the whole thing on its, on its head. Uh-huh. Like, I have to do something with my shifter, otherwise... It'll go extinct. Well, come to find out, tons of people still love it. Yeah. Right? Them coming out with their shifter helped me define better what a fast line shifter is and who would buy it and who would run it. Um, Before the last IBOC meet last year, they had the meet at uh, Nemo's. Yes. And I'm like, that was right when that shifter came out. And I was like, dude, I said, I need to get some beauty shots of somebody's car with a fast line shifter in it because I don't have any, right? So I'm looking around the parking lot. Oh, that car looks clean. Look, oh, hybrid shifter. I'm like, oh, that car looks clean. Like, oh, they just have like, whatever. Um, Oh, that one, hybrid shifter. And I'm like, oh, look, that car's got a fast line shifter and it's a beat down piece of shit track car, right? Yeah. Like, oh, well, it's got the shifter, but that's not a really pretty picture car, right? And then I went and looked at another one, and I said, okay, well, uh, John was there with Goldie. Mm-hmm. And I never even met John before. I knew what Goldie was from forever ago. But I saw a car, and he's got a fast lane shifter. And it's like, no, this is a clean car, but it's a track car. I'm starting to see a theme, yeah. right? The fast line performance shifter is great for people that are into racing performance and then i started paying attention to people's instagram I'm like oh man shitloads of people have a fast line shifter i'm thinking that it's a competing shifter to the hybrid shifter but it's not really mm-hmm. in a certain respect some people are going to buy this one and some people are going to buy that one and that was kind of like an aha moment so why am i not selling too many of those shifters well maybe it's because i'm not attracting the right people you know if I'm going to, you know, sell this part, I need to find the people that do track stuff, right? They're the people that are going to maybe gravitate towards it a, a little bit more. Not to say that hybrid racing wasn't a good performance shifter. It's a great shifter all the way around. But I've had a couple of people switch back. Mm-hmm. You know, just it's a personal preference. It's a, it's a human touch item. Like somebody's going to like one or the other. Um, so I can't ignore this crowd, right? I can't say, well, you know, ninth gen civics are good because I'm more in like newer big body kind of Hondas anyway, you know, especially when I found out that when the 10th generation Accord, I do a lot with eighth and ninth generation Accord. Uh-huh. Well, the 10th generation Accord came out, it was falling on deaf ears. Why is that? I mean, I'm with Accord people, right? No, no, I'm with V6 people. V6 people identify better. The new Accord's got a turbo engine. There's there's a lot of cross-marketing between 10th Gen Civic and, and Accord going on. So like your PRL and and some of these other brands that are really latched onto the volume car, the Civic, well, they can have Me Too products for the Accord. Mm. And that is getting away from 
who people are used to looking at me for. Mm. So I've got to change a lot of things. Yeah. And so I've got I've gotten I've gotten to, to a point where I think, you know what, I need to not draw boundaries around what type of Honda they have. If they got a Honda, they're in with me. Gotcha. But then after that, they have to be um, you know, maybe a certain type of person, depending on the service that we're giving. Gotcha. It all comes down to how I present myself, I think. Yeah, and I've always known of the brand as um, a brand being accepted and pushed by, uh, you know, like circuit racers. So yeah, maybe that that's where that comes around with the shifter, you know. Yeah. Um, seeing that you have um, an opportunity or you know new goals coming up, what would you like Heeltoe to be known as in the upcoming future? What would you like to? rebrand or you know um broaden uh, your audience how would you want that to look i i've got a plan ish okay somewhat at least 12 percent of a plan okay <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good that's more than 10 <laughs> yeah um i i've got a new website i i we've the website that you see right now is about five years old. Okay. And I took some real creative liberty with it. And it was kind of a big experiment, and some of it worked, and some of it needs adjustment. Um, I don't think any of it's not a good idea, but it's just the way that it's presented isn't. Um, and one of the things I'm trying to do is really appeal towards enthusiasts. Okay. Like, people that give a shit, right? Like, I care about my cars, and I would rather do nothing to my car than do something half-assed. Uh, and if something is half-assed on, on my car, it bothers me, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is not to say that I don't ever do half-assed shit. I definitely do, but it bothers me, right? I really want people to, to be aiming high. Like, I don't, I don't feel like... I don't... I don't I want to appeal to the people who um, are invested in their car. Like they've had it for a long time or they're going to have it for a long time. Because I think these people have kind of gone through a couple of cycles of buying and selling shit and they understand what quality is, what quality service is, and then they're going to recognize it when they come to us. The problem is, is then you're only going to get old people and how you get new people, yeah. right? Um, so what I'm trying to do right now is structure my website in a way that when you get on there, if you're a Honda enthusiast, certain things are going to connect with you. Um, I'll give you an example. So there are a facelift version of a, of a car, right? They made a TSX from 04 to 08, but in 06, they facelifted it a little mm -hmm. bit. And then engine changed a little bit. And then in 07, something else changed. Like within that generation of a car, um, you've got enthusiasts who might want to swap things around. Or uh, an intake might come out for an 0405, and you know, KN didn't test it on an 08. So in their catalog, it doesn't say it fits an 08. But you know, me, we all know that it does, mm. right? So when you pick a car on our website, it doesn't dump you into here's what fits your 2005 Acura TSX, 
with a manual, mm-hmm. right? Because it's only going to show you a subset of stuff. Yeah. We say, okay, here's all of our first-generation TSX parts, notes about what fits what, and here's all of our K-series parts. Got you. Okay. Right. I, I've had some customers stub their toe on my website a couple of times when I thought I was getting this. I put in my exact year, make, and model, and then you sent me this, and it doesn't fit my car. And it's like, well, it's because it, it, it says that it fits this type of engine. So if you didn't know that you had a K20A2, then, you know, you should have bought this other thing instead. Yeah. Like, mostly I'm not having a problem with that. But I think it does give people a little bit of trouble every once in a while. So what I'm trying to do is, with the next version of the website, try to build a little bit more education into it and give them a little bit more of a sense that they're not buying something for their their specific car. They're buying parts for a TSX. And they're buying parts for a K-series engine. And, uh, and we separate that too. I've actually got two different filters that go in the background. So you can actually go and save your car, first of all. Like you can save your car to your profile. And then if you end up doing an engine swap, you can go into your profile and switch it to a different engine. Mm, very cool. So like if you have a, you know, your EG, you go in, it's got a D-series by default. You can go and say, no, I got a K-series. And it won't show you any D-series parts anymore. Mm, cool. It'll just show you K-series. So you won't have to look up an RSX to find a part for your engine. You could just put in your car naturally as you own it and then find a K-series part. So by building this into it, we're trying to give people a little bit more of a custom experience while they're shopping through the website. And um, those tools are on there right now, but they're a little clunky. Uh, The new website that I'm going to be releasing soon is a completely new platform. It's all new, back-end, front-end. I got a new server. I got like, it's all new. And um, uh, it's going to have more refined tools. And in addition to saving your car to your profile, I'm going to allow you to add parts to it. So link parts from the store to the car that's in your profile. There's a button, add to cart, Mm -hmm. which we all know. And then right below it, I already have this. So in our store, you can shop and click on, oh, I already have this part. Mm. And then you can connect it to your car. And then it won't, you know, it won't suggest you part that part anymore. It'll just give you different stuff or stuff that people that have a part like that like yeah. other parts that they have. So we're trying to build a lot of this uh, you know, scientific shit into the website. It, it's fashionable to call it AI, and I, I, that's crap. It's not <laughs> AI. But I'm trying to build some tools in. And then, okay, so now you got your cars in your profile, and you've got parts. So you can have a parts collection on our website too. So you can add parts to your collection that aren't even on a car. Uh-huh. I mean, we all have tons of parts sitting around. Um, you know, I'd like to be able to give people a place to digitize that too and then maybe even do some like secondhand reselling you know build more of a marketplace yeah it's really cool i'm like really trying to do more of a specialized honda enthusiast marketplace awesome more more than just me selling the parts dude that's so cool um that's one huge opportunity that we have is our website you know i haven't got a chance to um, sit down and update it and do everything that I want to do to it. And that's just my fault, not making it a priority. And that's something that I really want to take care of 
this year. I didn't mean to dig you earlier, by the way. No, you told me about it at SEMA too. And that's exactly how I felt. You know, when you said that you're going to work on your website, I was just jealous because that's exactly what I want to do, you know. Um, But with anything with discipline, it takes um, making something a priority. And I just haven't made it a priority. Yeah, I'm fully with you on that. I've been saying this website was supposed to launch a year ago. And maybe even more than that. But I, I knew that that wasn't going to happen. And then it was supposed to happen over winter. And then it was supposed <laughs> to happen in January. Yeah. And it was supposed to happen now. And it's like, I keep finding like little things that are just sort of deal breakers for it. And it it's because it's all built brand new from the ground up. Yeah. It takes a few years and it's actually a lot of money. I'm not doing it. Like I got to pay somebody to gotcha, do it. Got you, got you, got you. Like, I understand how the internet works and computer science works to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So I know enough to tell them kind of how I want it to work, but I can't do it. So I got to pay developers to do all this stuff. And then they got their own timeline and their own schedule. Yeah. Um, But I've I've got some really good people that I'm working with. I feel very like glad that I've got good people to work with, but you know, it's, it's when you go and and you can tell all the Shopify websites Mm -hmm. because they're all the same right like they all function the same and i just don't want that i want i want a custom specialized experience for people like i don't want it to feel like you could buy this anywhere gotcha. because this website's like all the other websites no when you go to heeltoe man it's flipping different like i've never seen anything like it and it works of course it's going to look like a store but some of the features there are going to make it different Dope, man. That's awesome. I, I get what you mean about the Shopify stuff. And to be, to be honest, that's kind of where I would like to be at. Something super simple, minimalist, you know, with just a, a slideshow at the top and some, some it's cool perfect links. For, for your brand. Yeah. I think it's great for your brand. And that, that would help out a lot. But I would like to have something cool, too. You know, I've always thought about having um, a, a website that mimics uh, when MySpace came out and each product has its own profile so you click on the engine kit you go to the engine kit and then there's different pictures of each color but it's in like the myspace picture way yeah and then even have it interactive where people can leave comments under it and leave pictures of their setup with with it in there so each product is its own person in this social media world that is the downstar website but I don't yeah. even know where to start with that. Well, it's it's a it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, the the back end to make that kind of thing work is it's it's a lot, yeah. you know, and it's not something you can get with like a plug-in app. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think Shopify has done a really really great job of standardizing the shopping experience for people who their business isn't e-commerce, mm-hmm. right? If your business is you know, to use hybrid racing again, but they're a good example. They're very, very proud of their new Shopify website. Yeah. Right? The the guys over there were over the moon with this. And they told me about it. And I'm very happy for them. It does all kinds of shit that the previous one that they had didn't. And um, and I've used it. it. It works very, very well. It really does. But they're kind of like a one-make store. Yeah. Like they're only selling their stuff and maybe a handful of other things. And only to like 
certain cars, like only the ones that they make stuff for. Yeah. I have, I mean, I make parts for 1984 CRXs. Really? It's a, chunk of our business like yeah we support from the 80s to today like there's a lot of hondas in there and we do aftermarket performance we do aftermarket replacement we do genuine oem you know we do just replacement crap you know i i I have a lot of stuff i have a lot of work to do updating my website Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that is not there um, that that should be there, like training day stuff, like uh, steering wheels. You know, yeah. I don't have any steering wheels. Like, uh. but I got to add a lot of this stuff. But I mean, but yeah, a good chunk of my business is these '80s CRXs. I private label a suspension kit with Tane. We make new body panel replacements out of fiberglass with our own molds. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean we. A lot of people don't know that, right? Yeah. And then we have the fast line parts. And now we got the CT engineering intakes. And then we've got ATLP exhaust for TLs and Accords and V6 cars. Like, we actually support a very, very broad base. Um, and while we might not be big in any one of them, we have good little space in lots of these little cars. So I think the whole plan is to, with this new web experience, just kind of like raise the tide a little bit. Yeah. You know, and then bring in more products to appeal to more people. So let's if, just go over. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Let's just go. No, over. no. It's, I was going to ramble again. <laughs> no worries. Let's just go over some of the uh, parts or um, companies that you offer. Cause, yeah. Um, that's what I want to do, man. I, I want to align with you guys. I love what you're, uh, you were able to sponsor the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I want our listeners to be able to think of Hilltoe as an option when they are looking for parts. So if you could just name some of the brands that you guys carry and what you can support. Oh, yeah. Well, we do. Um, I mean, we get all kinds of things. And I think one of the things that makes us special is we're plugged into manufacturers directly um you know i've got some kind of connections in the industry that go back a very long way so like tane for example tane suspension i'm one of their first north american dealers wow that's a huge company yeah so when they landed in america you know they're still doing like ha's and he's and ra's and stuff um, one of the co- acquaintances, did, have you ever heard of a shop called area 51? Mm, no, they were in Irvine. So like 2001 ish area 51 mm. opened up in Irvine auto center and a handful of people started working there. I got to know those guys. I think one of the guys that I was hanging out with was friends with one of the guys that worked there, blah, blah, blah. They were one of the they were one of the first people to bring Spoon over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was companies bringing Spoon over, but they were attempting to be like a Spoon USA. Spoon USA is whoever's making the biggest order at the time, I yeah. think, back then. Right now, GoTuning's got it pretty well locked up. Yeah. They're, they're doing an amazing job, too. But yeah. back then, you know, these guys were trying to 
do custom fab stuff. Uh, Doc Charles worked there. Mm-hmm. He was the technician. And this other guy, um, uh, Charles Griffiths, was like a sales guy in Misaki Nakayama. He's the general manager at Apex USA now. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles uh, works at Skunk 2, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, this other guy worked there, Tony, Tony Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ended up, I think Area 51 ended up closing, and Tony got a job at Tain USA. One of the, they just opened their office, and Tony started working there. And he goes, hey, man, I'm working at Tain. You want an account? And I was like, yeah, man, sign me up. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I was selling Tains like very, very early on. And then, of course, they got a connection at Apex um, through Misaki. Mm-hmm. I don't sell, I feel bad for some of the JDM brands, HKS, Gretty, and Apex because they had taken a hit a little while there in the early 2000s. Um, yeah. They had a lot going on with, with imports. And then once those WRXs and Evos came in, Everything got flipped around. All these uh, domestic brands like Perrin and whoever else all came in and just really turned the the industry sideways. Uh, I'm glad that they're all still going today. Like Gretty seems like they're doing better than ever, which is great. Yeah, shout um, out to Kenji, man. Great. Yeah, dude. Kenji's awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm kind of well known in those kind of circles, right? Like, so I've got accounts all over the place so i could get pretty much anything when it comes to brands i can get pretty much anything but i think one of the things that sets us aside is that uh, a company that isn't maybe as well known or is like a little bit of a you know bedroom brand or whatever like we'll try to offer that stuff too Mm -hmm. um you know we've got a guy this guy named cameron um he uh makes what's called his company is called Dino Designs, and it's the Tyrannosaur Tightener. You know, you yeah, sell them. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a CRX guy. He's a first-gen CRX guy. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't, you don't even know that. But yeah, he's, I know him through CRXs. Gotcha. And uh, like that's one of the things. Like, oh, I want to put that on my website. I wanted it forever. So finally got that on there. You know, so I, I'd like, you know, for a Honda guy to be able to go there and see... Yeah, the mainstream stuff, you know, gritty HKS, what have you. And then maybe some of the alt ones that are coming up, like PRL, you know. And then we've got Data, And then we've got, you know, my own brands fall in there. They're a little more boutique-y. Mm-hmm. And then all the way down to, well, this guy makes this one part. And we have a relationship with him because it's a sick part. Yeah. As far as bringing in your brand, I'm a thousand percent about it. Hell just yeah. like I'm, but I've had to unfortunately put you into a bucket with a lot of other brands that I want to put in there too. And the work is very, very overwhelming. Yeah. One of the main reasons why I completely changed my web platform away from the one that I'm using right now is because the one I'm using right now is pretty old and it's a little cumbersome to get parts pushed in. With the new one, I'll be able to more readily populate things, and uh, I'm hoping that as soon as that thing gets online, my goal is to be like populate with brands. Like uh, there is so much lost opportunity just in wheels. I don't really sell wheels. Mm-hmm. I mean, wheels is like the number one thing. You know, I want to sell wheels. I want to sell dress-up hardware. I want to sell 
more racing stuff. Like I should be selling more pistons. One of my, the guy that I was in the car accident with, he's like the sales manager at JE Pistons now. Oh wow. Yeah, and it's like I should be selling a shitload of pistons, and I'm not. Yeah. You, you know, um, I try not to look at that as like failures on my side because, you know, I have to be real. Like it's a lot of work, and we actually have a lot of order volume that we deal with right now. Like I'm, I'm really pretty busy today, just working on orders. Um, but more has to come in for this picture to work of people having a parts collection. Can't have a parts collection on my website if the part's not on my website. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, you're you're very high on the list of people for me to call when I'm ready. Whenever you're to, ready, man. Like, no worries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're you're getting orders. The the ship is moving. I mean, you can't you can't be too hard on yourself because you know. I it's can be like very you, hard on myself. You can, but I can be. We uh, it's it's just time, man. That's it. Mm-hmm. You can't stress yourself out. It's just time, and at least at the end of the day, you have a plan, and you're working yeah. towards that plan. And that's more than I can say about myself or other people. You know, I want I want to do my website too, but it's not like I have plans to go home and do the website because. To be honest, that's not as interesting to me as other things I could be doing with my time. And orders are still coming in. I'm still slammed with orders. So it's hard to justify putting myself in that situation where I'm going to be doing something that isn't going to bring me much happiness when my goal is to try to find any sort of happiness that I can and hold on to it through the day because my day is full of, of tasks of obligations that I have to do and when I have to get off and then go home and fill my day up more with, with tasks and obligations, it makes it hard. I'm not in my twenties anymore. And that's not saying that I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm not, I don't feel young, but I'm not as hungry as I once was in my twenties where I'm trying to get every single dollar. That's that is the hard part. Dude, Frank, I used to fight tooth and nail. You know, the price game, the whatever, like to make a sale because like, okay, I don't really want to make no money if I sell because this other guy is being too cheap or this shitty other guy, like he sucks. But like I got a customer who wants to give me money. Like I got to, <laughs> I got to try to get it. I'd rather make, I'd rather make almost nothing than let that sale go. Yeah. And then you fight right for it. I got, I could sit back now. I don't have to fight for the sales, Right. I've got the reputation. I've got the parts. I've got a good process. Yeah. Speaking of process engineering, from the moment somebody places an order on my website, it's slick to shipping, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm was surprised to hear that some online stores, like it might be a few days before they get back to you mm-hmm. on shipping your stuff. I'm like, fuck, man. If I'm not communicating within 24 hours, I'm stressing. Really? So maybe I am still hungry. Right, I'm I'm hungry for fulfillment now. Yeah, it's not about money; it's about fulfillment. And again, like I needed a new platform to do some of my fulfillment plans, some of the post-order communication, some of the follow-up, handling returns. Like, you know, when you're smaller, handling return is a pain in the ass, and it's annoying from a money perspective. Right now, like I would pay somebody to just do it mm. right because returns is sort of a part of the business right 
And I just want them to go away. Not because I don't want them. It's just because it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. managing them. It's amazing how fast and easy the fulfillment part goes. But then when the return part comes, it's a long, arduous process. Right? Like, I, I don't... I don't understand why it has to be that way. Yeah. Like I want the returns to be very easy. And then I want, you know, secret, right? Like this marketplace would be a really great way for me to sell off stuff that I could take back on return. It would allow me to, it would liberate me of this ridiculous return policies that a lot of us have, right? Like restocking fees. Yeah. I can't think of bigger bullshit than restocking fee, right? Yeah. Certain things, Yeah. But yeah, certain, definitely certain, especially custom things. But what's to stop you from just slanging it to somebody else? The biggest problem uh, that I have with uh, returns is people not reading descriptions and not seeing that it's not applicable to their build or whatever they're doing. And for their negligence, then I have to take that hit from lending them the product check if it works okay it doesn't send it back so that's why i like to do restocking fees but if something came up to be my issue i i'll, I'll waive it no problem well i mean if they're going to exchange it yeah exchange it I, there's no the restocking deal, right fee, of or, course you know what um you might even end up just saying hey like returns are for store credit yeah returns are for store credit well i don't think i'm going to need anything else well you, you wanted these bolts why don't i just get you the right ones yeah you know, and most of them, um, they're really cool about it. You know, sure. a lot of people won't trip about restocking fee. And if they're doing an exchange, I don't really care. You know, it's it, yeah. it's just a wash, you know, but that's why but the point I, is it's extra work no matter what. Yeah, it's extra work that you got to do. And it's painful for everybody. You don't want it back. They don't want to deal with it. Yeah. They want their money back. Like it's just it. Once the whole idea of return comes up, like the best thing that one could do is just make it go as fast and easy as possible. Because even if it's a loss on your side, like it's a bigger loss if that person would never do business with you again because the return was a pain in the ass. Hundred percent, man. You're definitely right about that. Marcus is. Um, I'm. I'm so glad that we were able to get this conversation going and and dive into the business. Um, because now it can give people a, a better idea of what you guys do, who you are, what you represent, and even how long you've been in the community. And it'll make it make them feel a lot more comfortable spending money with you and uh, willing to. Because that's how I feel. You know, if I listen to a podcast of a business and I'm giving my my business to somebody else, I'll switch over to them for the simple <laughs> fact that, yo, I, I know this guy. I've, now I, you know I've him. Heard, I, I heard him. I've heard of his story, what he's about, and that's somebody that I want to give my money to. And, um, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it worked out for you to be on here. Now, before we get out of here, um, since you may have the ears of new uh, new customers, what would you say somebody, to somebody to bring them over to uh, give you guys a chance? I think the biggest thing that uh, if somebody was, you know, punched into Google heel toe, which if you do, we should be the first bunch of shit that comes up. Like we've taken over Google, at least in the word heel toe. Nice. And that's not heel and toe. It's just heel toe. But, um, you know, you're going to land on the website and some of it may seem a little foreign and we're working on that. We welcome any feedback. And I think that's one of those things that we try to do is get that human contact. If you see that click to text, 
click it. Text. I'll answer. Um, if you're looking for something that you don't see, it's maybe because I haven't really jumped into that market quite yet, but I can maybe get it. I think that opening up that line of communication is the number one thing that people who are new would want to know. Very is cool. That we're approachable and friendly, and even if I got to let you down, I'll let you down easy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It's not you, but, it's uh, me. Those yeah, we the- try. <laughs> you know, I think we, we try. I think we try to, um, you know, at least have that soft touch to people. So, yeah. you know, if you've had questionable experiences with another store, maybe they weren't friendly or something like yeah. that. We try to be. So, uh, I think there's a little bit of patience. I think sitting back and enjoying what you're doing is part of what shopping with us is all about. It's not about getting up and just throwing some money at your computer. Yeah. You know, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. And, and a word on sponsorship. Cause I know that this is a, it's a hot button issue. You know, people get offended uh, in our industry, like, oh, sponsorship. Somebody asks, you know, if you're going to say, hey, can you sponsor me? Like, have an Instagram that reflects somebody that I would want to sponsor. Like, I don't want to see your dog. Yeah. I don't want to see your girlfriend. Like, you know, I might want to see your girlfriend. <laughs> depends, but that should be a different account, probably. Um, the car like and your lifestyle and who you are and your network you're commenting on your own stuff like you would have to have and you know sponsorship is basically you're looking for a job yeah you're not looking for parts if you're looking for parts and you want a discount say that don't say sponsorship say hey i want to buy some shit i got a big ass project i'm working on i want to partner up with somebody can we make a deal yeah, man, I support your project. Let's get you on the road. I'll make you some deals. Like we can do financing. We can do whatever you need. Don't say sponsorship. The way, the easiest way I uh, look at sponsorships is how are you going to pay me for this product without using money? Yeah, that's basically it's a job. Yeah, it's yeah. What because they're going to have do? to sell too. Yeah, they have to sell them. They have to they have to sell themselves. And, and it has to be in alignment. Look at my Instagram. See what I post. Can yeah. you represent me? Because if you're going to represent something that you don't see on my Instagram, then I might not be interested. Yeah. Or I might be. I don't know. That I'll tell you what. Anybody I've sponsored, I've reached out to. I've reached out to them. Likewise. Because that's somebody that just aligns with your brand and what you're looking for. And you see how they hold themselves. Yeah. And Eric Coutille. Eric Cotill has been really great to work with, and I'm looking at some others too. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Marcus, you're the man, bro. And uh, I usually say at this time um, to let everybody know where to find you, but that's my job. (laughs) So, guys, please, if you are a supporter of Downtime with Downstar, if you love what we're doing, you have to support Hilltoe Automotive. Um, Check out the website, Hilltoe Auto dot com or on instagram hilltoe automotive make sure you go show them some love um you definitely took a chance on us and this is something that i'll never forget man um it really means a lot to me that you believe enough in the podcast to just want to be aligned with it and it was it was awesome to sit with you and to hear about the brand and hear where you're at man and i look forward to having another conversation in the oh yeah near future hopefully in person in person man (laughs) right you know, I have an I have an idea that when I'm set up, 
I'm going to go to different manufacturers, different companies in person, bring my laptop and be like, all right, man, how are we going to get your shit in my store? I like, how that. are we going to do it? Let's plan it together. And I think that would be a good opportunity to, uh, to try again. It'll be later this year. When things clear up, you know, we, yeah. we might be having conversations like this for the rest of our lives. We don't know. So doubt it. <laughs> We're going to go right back. We're going to go right back to licking uh, roller coaster handles. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Marcus, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, man. Sure thing, man. And, uh, elbows. Elbows, baby. <laughs> Rona tap. Rona uh, tap. <laughs> everybody listening, uh, like I said, if you support Downtime with Downstar, make sure you check out hilltoauto.com. Hilltoe Automotive on Instagram. Shoots uh, Marcus some love. And go to the website, hilltoeauto.com. Shoot him a text and uh, test him out. See if he answers you back. And uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys are safe with your families out there. And uh, stay strong, man. This is Downstar. Uh, Downtime with Downstar, uh, episode 158. And we out. Peace.